I just want to start out today by thanking you guys. Thank you, the podcast listener. You have helped me grow this thing bigger than I ever could imagine. All the positive feedback, all the ratings and comments on iTunes, and just unbelievable, man. I, I've gotten so many people on this podcast that I wasn't sure if I could or how to, and every time I get feedback from you guys, I'm like, I gotta keep going. There's so many epic skateboarders, and everyone has cool stories and different perspectives, and I don't know, I feel honored to be in the position I'm in, and it's because of you guys. You guys are listening, you're sharing, and you're just spreading the word, and it's just growing, which is amazing. So thank you guys. I also wanted to talk about the New England Am, but I wanted to take it back to last year, and I just wanted to kind of thank some of the people that were involved last year. I mean, we had a skate shop invite division that had, I think it was like 20-something skate shops. But I wanted to kind of just thank the shops and the people that came so solstice skate shop i mean i skate for you you guys have i've talked about you on every podcast thank you so much i mean Corey, billy and jordan killed it civil skate shop thank you guido you're the man justin killed it andrew nick all those dudes shredding um max hash what's up todd thank you you've been down with all i need from the beginning that means a lot and uh i'm just like you sent some gnarly dudes that killed it steve and matt and everyone who killed it from them uh, the Juice, what up? Conrad, the good homie. Uh, just everyone that killed it from there. Evan, Harry, Lucas. Like, you guys all shredded. This is so cool. Uh, the Hive, what up, Charlie? Charlie was on the podcast. So wasn't Conrad, too. But Charlie was on the podcast as well, man. And your boys killed it, man. Kevin, Denzel, you guys just shredded. Eastern Border, thank you so much. You were the first skate shop that I ever heard of. And, uh... I don't know, I always looked up to EB and was like, that's so cool. My friend skated for you, like Trembley, and I don't know if Dale ever did, but I know he wanted to, so I don't know. So sick, Serge, Decimus, what, Mike, what up, you guys killed it. Levitate, uh, Adam, Chris, Kyle, I mean, Levitate's festival is amazing. That was so much fun to skate the mini ramp with all the live music. You guys killed it, thank you for coming. Hyped to have all you guys back. Theory, what's up, man, thank you, thank you for supporting the the contest and rob and everything you do for skateboarding thank you thank you skater's edge i mean we got a whole we got to do the the contest there i i i bought my house from dave and carol that own the edge um those people are just solid they let me teach skateboard lessons there which is amazing and i i owe them a lot those guys are awesome and uh red alert what's up ralph man so sick you guys came Derek tate you guys killed it um, going back to Skater's Edge, too, Nick, Ryan, Peter, you guys shredded so hard, man. It was insane. Uh, just seriously sick. Uh, who else do we got? We got Technical. What's up, Bobby? Kills it, man. Been down with AIM since the beginning, for sure. So sick, man. Thank you for the support and always buying the boards and moving them and just supporting everything and being being down. So, I mean, it's a lot. Persona, you guys came destroyed. I mean, you guys won the skate shop contest. So, Eric, Steven, Pedro, you guys are sick as hell. I actually had him on the podcast as well. That was sick. Uh, Long's, Bo- Long's Board Shop, po- South Portland, Maine. Thank you, guys. Came down. That's coming from Maine as a trip. That's awesome. I hope we can make it up that way. I'd be hyped. Um, Breakwater, thank you for coming. You guys killed it as well. Uh, NOTB, North of the Border, New Hampshire, thank you, you guys killed it, your dudes are awesome, um, Sid at Water Brothers, Sid was on the podcast, um, the best man, he has sick riders, everyone shreds, Midge, what up, Nikki, Johnny, what up, 
Elemental Surf, thank you. I mean, Brendan Manning, I don't like him. I don't like him, though. Not one bit. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan's the man. Aiden killed it. You got shredded. Um, I love Brendan. We just fuck around with each other like that. It's awesome. He shreds, though. I filmed his video part at Skater's Edge, his Greenhorn part. If you guys want to check out a sick part, just go to um, YouTube. Type in Greenhorn Brendan Manning. Sick part. Um, let's see. We got Pioneers. Thank you. I was in there not that long ago. Uh, we went. I brought little Russell in there and checked out the surfboards and all the skateboards. Sick shop. Been around for a long time. Dude killed it as well. Orchard, thank you. Thank you, you guys killed it. Rob, James, everyone, just Orchard in general, thank you for holding down skateboarding. So cool, man. And thank you for carrying all I need. That means a lot, man. Uh, I love Boston. I love that whole area. I've filmed video parts there. like, And it's just like the stuff I've seen other people do too blows my mind. Like Orchard put out sick videos, so... I don't know. They have something sick going on. I seen they're building a bowl too in there. It's awesome. Ideal Jeff, what's up, man? It's so cool to come down, hang out in your hood, skate your park, skate your mini ramp, have a few beers with you. It's very cool, man. He was on the podcast as well. All your dudes killed it too. Every shop came correct. Every skateboarder came and killed it, man. Green room as well, man. Out in out in Martha's Vineyard, we go out there um, twice twice in uh, twice in a row now. We've been out each year. And uh, we camped out and just just did a little skate jam, made some tie-dye shirts. Everyone killed it. Got to meet everyone out there. Took the ferry over. It's so sick. And thank you guys all for coming to the contest. And it means a lot to me. And uh, I want to make it an invite to anybody out there listening that has a skate shop and might want to come to this year, the New England AM 2015, October 3rd and 4th at Skater's Edge in Taunton, Mass. Uh, we're going to do a two-day event. We're going to have a Gap to Hub a Best Trick. We're also going to have an after party at No Problemo Taqueria, which is skater-owned, skater-run, and uh, it's going to be fucking epic. So if there's any other skate shops that want to get in, uh, I'll give you the email at the end of this so you guys can reach out and just let me know that you're down, and uh, we're going to make it sick. Judges again, we got Westgate, Brandon Westgate, we got Nick Dompierre, we got Donnie Barley, and we got Zared fucking Bassett. I mean, all these dudes kill it, for real, like... I, I grew up skating with these dudes, and they're definitely East Coast legends. Like, just, I, I, I'm trying to think of, like, a contest that, that has had better judges. The coolest thing about it is that all those dudes are homegrown. Like, Zared's from Mass, Westgate's from Mass, Don Pierre's New Bedford, Barley's Connecticut. Like, I, it's just sick, man. So, those are the best judges we could ever have. And having another year of this contest is going to be fucking epic. So if you're a skate shop out there and you want to skate in the New England AM this year, the email to hit me up at is AINSales11 at gmail.com. That is AINSales11 at gmail.com. Just send me an email and uh, we can swear it away, man. Last year we did three riders from each shop and uh, it turned out epic. And it's like, it's like a mini little trade show. There's so many people from... New England area and beyond that came and hung out that owned shops and started brands and so it's really a good time and also if you want to support AIN skateboards that same email you can reach out if you're a shop out there and you know everything you hear you like and you skateboarding's a need in your life and you dedicated your life to it and you want to support the same 
then you can hit me up at AINsales11 at gmail.com. Uh, let's get into it. Today's Steve Barra, the one and only. Um, I mean, what can I really say? He's a cool-ass dude. I really am hyped to have him on the podcast, and it was cool to explore his history, and I didn't even know he played soccer. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Enough of me yapping. Thank you guys a million times over. Fucking love you. This is the Shetland Show. Show. Whatever you do, you have one thing that's unique. You have the ability to make up. When things get tough, this is what you should do. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. I hope to get it. I'm sick of explaining history. I'm rolling with a circle of winners. We claim the victories. Yeah, it's about to be the realest shit you ever heard. You're in a transitional world right now. Yeah, it's just basically going for it, you know. Sometimes I don't think about getting hurt or slamming, but you know it, it happens. It's skateboarding. You know, it happens game, every day. Yeah. People are worried about skateboarding and the skate state of the industry. Yeah. The truth is, we are the industry. Yeah. Skateboarders are the industry. Experience, I guess, just because there's like I've never seen like that many skaters in one place. Just like it's like we, we take over the street. All right. So today we have. A special guest, and I say that because I grew up watching you skateboard and watching all the videos, and pretty much, you know, your generation of skateboarders got me so hyped on skateboarding that it it got me to believe it was able to be a professional skateboarder. So today's guest is Steve Bear. What's up, man? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> thank, all right. thank you for being a skateboarder and forging a skateboard career and inspiring people, man. It's very cool. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Very cool. I, I like to give people the flowers while they can still smell it. So that's we'll get that out of the way. Okay? <laughs> or dead, at least get a little bit of praise, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Not that I care, but it's always nice to know that someone likes you. Oh, I know, dude. I appreciate when I get any like genuine feedback from anyone who skates that's like, I saw you in a video or a magazine or this yeah. and this got me hyped. Like, I love that, man. That gives me fire to keep doing cool stuff, so that's cool. Um, All right, so let's begin at the beginning. Where did you get your first board, man, and if you remember what it was? I do. I remember it very clearly. Um, When, you know, I I grew up in St. Louis and moved in seventh grade. I moved to Omaha, Nebraska for um nine months right and while i was there when i was, I grew up soccer player so i had over 100 soccer trophies uh my team was national champions i was had planned on going to school and either being a pro soccer player or just being a lawyer damn how are mm-hmm. you how are your shins looking okay my shins are fine my <laughs> shins were more beat up skateboarding than they were soccer because i had shin guards when i played soccer oh know? true true <laughs> skateboarders are too cool for shin guards <laughs> um and i'll get into if we ta- if we end up talking about soccer later i'll get into how i got out of soccer but this is sort of the beginning of when i got a skateboard i uh i was really into also bmx like that was sort of the other thing that i was super into and I had just seen that movie Rad. Did you ever see that movie Rad? Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember because it was I was I was leaving and I knew we were leaving to move to Omaha. So I was like, oh well, I get like a couple extra days where I don't have to go to school. Like I had my last day of school and then 
on my second to last day, or actually my last day of being in St. Louis, which I loved so much. Like I love St. Louis as a city and I loved where I lived and I was a very pretty happy, albeit didn't have much, but, but I was a happy kid and I didn't know that I didn't have much until later on in life. Right. But yeah, but uh, when my dad got transferred, so my dad worked for the railroad when we, when we got transferred to Omaha, the second to last, or the last day I was there, I guess the day before we left, I went and saw Rad, the, the movie, for the second time in the movie theater by myself during a school day. So I thought it was pretty amazing. And anyway, so we moved to Nebraska and we move in. I have four older sisters. We move into this house in, in Nebraska and the kids across the street in the neighborhood were skateboarding. And I remember distinctly standing in front of, in our on our lawn looking at the kids across the street like <laughs> my sister who I'm really close to one of my older sisters I looked at her and I was like I'm never getting a fucking skateboard <laughs> <laughs> were they punks were they just starting shit or something <laughs> I don't know I just didn't like the way they looked I have no idea you know I just I just remember thinking I'm never gonna get one one of those things you know because I just like got like my first like real bike like a year before that and it was a gt um pro performer did you hey did you did you on the bmx did you do tricks or were you racing because i remember there was like racing matches for a while right so i was here's the thing like we just never had any money to do anything i was lucky that i got a bike so i wanted to race but racing took money you know so we had we had built dirt tracks and stuff like by our house because I lived right by the Mississippi. So they're in between the end of my neighborhood, which was just about five houses down and there, and there was a patch of woods. And at the other end of that patch of woods was the Mississippi river. Right. So we had tons of, you know, we lived in a pretty green area and we had lots of dirt tracks that me and my friends would build friends that I'm still friends with to this day. And, you know, we would jump and, and, and then freestyle, like, I just kind of liked it all. You know, if you were freestyling, if you were, um, I remember in, in Rad, the movie, like, in the credits, they had, like, a whole credit sequence where they were at a pipeline. Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? This is, like, this oasis of, for things. I didn't even know they skateboarded on it until I went to pipeline, like, about a year later. And when you're a kid, time moves so much slower, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. You fucking nailed it. <laughs> you know, it because you know, uh, when you're when you're eight years old, a year is an eighth of your life. You know, when you're when you're fifty, a year is a fiftieth of your life. So the, you know, time is it has a lot is a different consideration when you're younger. And so, and it's just funny to think that only it was a year from you know seeing Rad to getting my new to getting a skateboard not even a year how did you uh, how did your uh how did you go from being so hyped on bikes to not liking the skateboarders to actually getting one though okay so my sister turned to me and she's like you're gonna have one. i said i'm never getting a fucking skateboard <laughs> looked at me and she's like you're gonna have one by the end of the summer she nailed it and sure enough i, I didn't even wait till summer I, you know, everyone was skating in the neighborhood and i just sort of got the fever and then i talked to my friends back in st louis and they were all skating and I, it was my birthday, which is in May. My birthday was just two weeks ago. So it was my birthday. So I guess I've been skating now for, what's that? 29 years. Okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, um, 
and I, I got I got a little bit of money for my birthday, and I bought a I went there. There was no skate shops where I lived. There was um, a bike store called the Bike Rack that was not too far from my house, and they had a bunch of um, skateboards. They, there was another skate kind of skate shop in downtown Omaha, but it was a punk record store. Jeez. That was a little bit too edgy for me at the time, you know, <laughs> so I couldn't go in there. And they only they didn't really sell a big variety of skateboards. They kind of had like these like kind of off brand small punk brand skateboards in the eighties. Anyway, so I went there and I look. I used to go there all the time just to look at the board, so I would know. I wouldn't know who the fuck any of these people were, like Joe Lopes or Billy Ruff or Joe Johnson, Tony Hawk. Like you, of course you you, you knew the names. Of course you knew Tony Hawk was like a big deal. Yeah. But all the rest of the guys could have built Danforth. They could have just you know been your neighbors. I, I have no idea, but they seemed like gods because they had their their names on a board. Yeah. So we went, I went to the bike rack and I would just, I would memorize every single board, you know, and their graphics and stuff. I'd never seen any of these people skate or even seen a magazine. And then I got, I got a board. I got a Vision Street Ghost. It was what? a Street Ghost. Yeah. Damn, sick. How big was that thing? Oh, God, it must have been, it must have been nine inches, nine inches wide. I don't know how long, 32 inches long. I, I mean, the nose were like, you know, two inches back then. Yeah. You know, like flipped up nose. It was, it was a pretty, pretty uh, f- uh, short and stubby nose. But no, no, you know, it wasn't like when Mike V came out with the first kind of board. Yeah, we, inside. in between. Yeah. Um, did you take the board straight back and show all the neighborhood dudes? No, because I didn't. You know what? I didn't really like the neighborhood dudes. Well, it was funny. Two weeks before my my birthday, there was this kid I played soccer with. I played soccer with him and his brother, so they were both kind of my friends, and they were like big soccer players in Omaha. And, and I had borrowed one of their boards. It was a Veriflex, and I just sort of cruised around on it for two weeks. And it's funny. So my my friend that really inspired me to. When I, when I moved to Nebraska, right, the, the, the level of soccer was a lot different than what I was used to from in St. Louis, right? So I, I, I went there and I sort of just tore uh, the soccer scene, the, the people that I played against. They just weren't very good, right? So you came in and you were killing it. That's yeah, awesome. I would normally score, score about six goals a game. Damn. <laughs> so there was a there was a point where I had to play like when I was 13 and I was playing under eight like the 18 year old kids because I would literally manhandle every single player and every single team you know that we would play. How did you ever leave soccer? I would have loved that. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then I played for the Nebraska State soccer team. And what what it was is so at the time so here is this new kid coming in, and there's already the like one soccer player who's like super amazing like the best kid in Nebraska right Nebraska then, Steve Barra before you came right yeah <laughs> and so of course when you're two good soccer players you're gonna become friends you know and what's funny is when I first move, this is a funny story that I just actually have a conclusion to that I found out just not even that long ago. So when I first moved there, I used to play in St. Louis, I used to play for a soccer team called Anheuser-Busch, 
which was like a big soccer club. Every every age group of Anheuser Busch basically would win national championships almost every year, right? Um, they, they were just really incredible because St. Louis is a big soccer town. Everyone plays soccer, and everyone's Catholic. It seems like, right? I didn't even know there was another religion until I actually moved out of St. Louis. <laughs> um, and so, so I'm in the mall. I'm walking in the mall with my sister. We had just moved there. We were maybe in Omaha for two days. We didn't even have a house. We were just living in a hotel. And um, we were walking in the mall, and I had my Bush sweatshirt on. And these two kids came up to me, and they're like, oh, yeah, you play for Bush? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> or I did. And he's like, they're like, you should play for USA Soccer. And I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't even know what that was until <laughs> I finally signed up for a soccer team and figured out, oh, USA Soccer was sort of the equivalent to what Bush was in St. Louis. It was a select soccer club. Yeah. Right? And that those two kids, one of them, when I first signed up for this, like, shitty soccer team called West Omaha, one of those kids that came up to the mall played on that team, and he remembered me. Okay. And obviously, when I was, like, then scoring six goals every fucking game, he, like, really remembered me. And then the other kid was the best kid in Nebraska, right? And he played for USA Soccer. So then we became by the, this kid's name was Mitch Olson by the association with Mitch playing on my team. Then he introduced me to this guy Jason, yeah. right? Yeah. And then Jason, Jason happened to live down the street from my house, but right between his house and my house was the border. So he went to a different school, and but we became really good friends. And he was kind of like one of my best friends and someone that I really liked because he was this like you know really really good soccer player, and his parents had definitely much more money than my parents did. Like there was a demarcation in our neighborhood. And he always had really great soccer shoes and always had like cool girlfriend, you know, good looking. I mean, this is we're young, but you know, he always had girlfriends where I was like this kind of nerdy, you know, athletic soccer kid. So you're like, and I'm hanging out with him. Cause he seems to be Spent the night at his house one night, and we walked what seemed like 40 miles to go to this chick's house in the middle of the night. And it was, you know, now that I'm older, it was like two. But, <laughs> you know, and like get her to sneak out at night, and we're like hanging out at the park holding hands with these chicks or whatever. But anyway, so he started skating, and he was always like the forefront. He was the guy, he had like paisley fucking button-up shirts and cuffed rolled-up pants and Sperry's and Genera and like every cool brand, and I didn't have any of that shit, you know? <laughs> People would make fun of me because I would wear soccer shoes to school, but I didn't have any other shoes, right? And I don't wear cleats, but I wear indoor soccer shoes. They're just like, he's always ready to play. Like, he doesn't have to turn it off. <laughs> but then, why are you wearing bowling shoes? I'm like, it's not bowling shoes. When, when you lived in, the, in St. Louis, everyone wore their, like, indoor soccer shoes to school. That was, like, what you wore. You didn't wear, like, you know, everyone played soccer. So that's what you did. So anyway, so this, this his, his name was Jason Christ, and he... He got me, you know, he started skating, and I remember he had, like, a, a skull and sword paddle board, and he was, could do power slides, and he would, like, do power slides, and I thought, oh, man, that was so cool, and he wore this, like, Campanala, which was, like, this bike brand at the time, one of those, like, small, scully bike hats with the the bill that flips up, you yeah. know? Yeah, I you know, he had like bangs, kind of like Tony Hawk, and it was like he had this blondish hair, and he was really handsome and had chicks, but he was still an amazing soccer player. And I was like, "Damn, I better start skating, right?" Because <laughs> you know, it's working for him. It's working for. 
Totally. And what's funny is then his parents were like, you're not going to fucking skate anymore. It's going to ruin your soccer career. And he stopped skating. But by that time, I already kind of had the bug, so I was juggling. Um, I was really getting into skateboarding and really seeking it out and re- seeking out trying trying to understand it, you know. So I go at the go to the skate shop. There was a skate shop by my house called Steve Skate Shop, Sick. which was iconic. It was across the street from my high school, so like after school, and and you know, I then I just started ingratiate myself to the people that worked there and hung out there, and then pretty soon, you know, like all skate, especially back then, if you had a skateboard. You know, you kind of were automatically friends with anyone else who had one because it was so scarce that anyone had one. Yeah, right. We still sorry to cut you off. Hold your yeah. But I still try to keep that going here because, like, I'm on the East Coast in Massachusetts, and it's skateboarding's growing, but it's not like the mecca of California, you know. So I go out of my way to make sure I talk to everyone, no matter what they look like or what crew or whatever. Like it's, I know in Cali because it's so oversaturated, it's almost like you can't tell who skates and who doesn't, you know. Where I'm at, you can still kind of tell. It's it's, it's yeah. different, yeah. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I like I that it was it like that. Co-opted by fashion. Where it's like it used to be able to you look at somebody's shoes and you're like they're a skater. Yeah. Right now you can't do that. No, yeah, we definitely influenced mainstream in some ways, right. or they followed us, or whichever way it went. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> vicious cycle of fashion. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so okay, so he so he stopped skating, and I just keep going, and I now have this crew, these these guys, you know, who I all I don't talk to hardly any of them anymore but I all remember them vividly and all of their names and these guys who really just kind of took me in and really helped me out and I was young and I was I was really small too when I was younger I didn't grow until probably when I was like 19 or 20 and um so and these guys like seemed like men to me they were all older than me (laughs) and uh, they were like juniors you know and at this time I was like a freshman so and then I just got really heavy into it, and I would go on, I'd go skate with these guys, you know, one of them drove, you know, and I would just, we would go everywhere. So that happened over, that actually, let me back up for a second. Before that, I moved back to St. Louis. So my friend, who's Jason, the soccer player, got me into skateboarding, and then actually right when I got into it, I moved back to St. Louis for a year. Yeah. Right. My dad got transferred back because again, my dad. Uh, I was gonna say my dad skated for the railroad. He's a rail. He's a, yeah. I was gonna say my dad rode for the railroad. Like, <laughs> my my dad was sponsored by the railroad. My dad worked for the railroad, right? And um, so we went back to St. Louis, and that was I was really happy about that because I love St. Louis and I didn't particularly enjoy Nebraska and I. And I didn't particularly enjoy the level of soccer. But I went back to St. Louis for a year, played soccer again, but then was really getting into skateboarding. Also because my my really, really, really good friends that I grew up with since I was, you know, in kindergarten were all skating. So then I entered high school. I was playing soccer. I was still juggling the two. And then my parents tell me, okay, we're moving back to Nebraska. Yeah, so shit. we have to move back to Nebraska, and I'm like, oh fucking Christ! Right? They have to go pummel these fools in soccer yeah. for a little bit. God, so, <laughs> exactly. 
So I go back, and, and Jason, my old buddy, he's not skating anymore. And that's when I show up. That's when this, you know, we kind of moved back to the same neighborhood that we lived in before. So I went to the end up going to the same high school um, that I would have went to. I was in junior high before that. Now I'm in almost 10th grade. And there's a skate shop across the street from the high school, Steve Skateboard Shop. And that's when I really become friends with these older kids. And then I really get into skateboarding. And then the soccer players at my school are like, are you going to play for the school? Damn, you're, so, you're in a pickle. You're like, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> so, now, now, yeah so now I'm like in 10th grade. And, and I'm like, I had really not planned on playing soccer. I really just wanted to skate. And so tryouts come up. And these guys that I played soccer with before I, you know, moved back to St. Louis – because basically I moved four times in a matter of like almost 20 months, right? So I've done that before, man. Mine was because of dysfunction in my family, so I had to go back and forth. So my memories yeah. are always like kind of – I don't yeah. – the timeline gets screwed because you're like, wait, is that the time I moved or is that the time I moved? And it's just like <laughs> – but I can understand completely. I guess what yeah. I'm, I want to know is like what made you go from like – it seemed like you were pretty damn good at soccer and like, I don't know, usually when you're good at something, it's like kind of just follow that road. What made you go from that to being like, I just want to skate? Like, what was the straw that broke the camel's back that made you be like, I'm going to skate? I, well, one, I was just enjoying skateboarding so much because it was so creative and it was a real challenge. Yeah. Skateboarding is fucking hard. Yeah. You could take five pro athletes and put them in a room, a basketball player, a soccer player, a uh, fucking baseball player, a skateboarder, and I don't know, what would I say, basketball, and a football player, right? And the skateboarder, I feel, could probably look like he knows, you know, he could shoot a basket, he could dribble, he, he could hit a baseball. You couldn't give a skateboarder to any one of those guys, and in a year, could they even be, they could never kick foot. Damn, I've never thought of it that way. It's funny, because... I was just at a skate spot in Boston the other day, and it was at a basketball court, and I just was, like, letting my friend use my board because it's barren broke. So I was like, here, skate my board. And I played basketball with these th these three dudes that were just shooting around. And, like, I can play basketball. I can hit a ball. And I never thought, like, if I give them a skateboard, they'd probably just fall on their ass, you know? Like, I never – You give them a skateboard for a year, and they'd probably still not even be able to ollie. Yeah, it'd be a struggle. <laughs> I think so. And so, you know, look, I was just, I was, I love my, my whole life was soccer, but then skateboarding, it was just so creative and, and challenging. And, and what happened was, you know, these skaters were like really, um, I'd become really good friends because skateboarding is so much about camaraderie as well. Yeah. And I, yeah. and, and sports are too, don't get me wrong. I was really good friends with all my soccer play, player friends, you know, guys I played soccer with, but, but there were tryouts and for the team. And I went to the first couple and I was like, man, I just really don't really like all these guys that much. And then the coach said, well, we're having tryouts over spring break. You got to be here every morning at 8.30 or 8 o'clock. And I was like, what? I'm not <laughs> – I'm not coming here over spring break. I told my friends down in Lincoln, which is a city in Nebraska, about 45 minutes away from Omaha, where, where I live. I said, I told all my friends I'm going to go skate with them all spring break. So definitely not showing up. Yeah. And sure enough, I didn't show up. And I come back from spring break, and I go to school, and I don't think anything of it. I, I, had, well, I was pretty resolved on uh, 
not playing soccer, and I get out of my seventh period class, and the coach is standing there. And he's like, what's up? Are you going to play? And I said, no, I'm not. Because, I mean, I didn't go to the tryouts. I'm not even on the team. And he just looked at me and he said, yeah, you are. (laughs) He's like, we need you. We fucking need you, Steve. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the last one that wants to let anyone down, yeah. you know, or be rude or anything like that. So I'm, I, I, I go, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll see you there tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Damn it. Every time you think yeah. you're out, they suck you back in. <laughs> so, so I get back in, I go to about three practices and we're running and I fucking hated running so yeah. much. And, and my whole life, all I did, I mean, I didn't hate it, but there were some times where I just couldn't stand it. Right. And this had to be that particular week. Right. Yeah. It's not that fun. And skateboarding is really active and fun. And, and we're running through the halls of the fucking school after school and then out around the field and through the halls and whatever. And one of the guys gave me shit about skating on the team. This dude, I played soccer with. Um, who was, I thought, a pretty good friend of mine. He's giving me shit about skating, and some other dude's giving me shit about skating. And I was like, you know what? Fuck these guys. And that was it. And the next day I showed up. I, You know, everyone's, like, at practice. I didn't do warm-ups or anything like that. And I showed up, and I t- went up to the coach. And I was like, oh, man. And I and I still didn't want to let him down, you know. I was like, my mom won't let me play. <laughs> <laughs> you took the bitch way out, Steve. You should have been. <laughs> I totally did. I totally did. I because awesome. I like I didn't want to let him down. I just wanted to give him like there's no way that I, he could get out of dealing with my mom, right? <laughs> he wouldn't question my mom. So I was like my. And meanwhile, my mom fucking didn't, you know, <laughs> I don't, she knew what my grades were, but but um, not that she didn't care, but she just you know that wasn't her style. So so I. uh he was like, okay, and that was it. And then I just skated, and I wasn't even—I I wasn't even particularly good at skating, you know, at that point. You know, I was getting better, and but it was right after that when I really started getting much better. And uh, and yeah, I, you know, that was like jump ramp season. That was like then went into right when like public domain came out, Mike Valley in the Powell videos and stuff like that. And you had so were... much stoke going on. All those videos yeah. were hype. It you was know, amazing. You know what one difference between between sports and skateboarding that I recognize is that I mean maybe on sports they do, but I feel like it's more about conformity on sports. Like everyone has to kind of bend to the same discipline and they have to play their roles. It's less like skateboarding is more expressive and art and you can like it doesn't even matter how physically fit you are. You're part of the crew. Like, I have a homie, Ramsey, who's, like, overweight, but, like, he brings as much value to, like, a good day of skating and helping everything progress as, like, anyone, you know? And it's not like you have a coach being, like, get in line, do this, do this. It's, like, skateboarding's more of a free expression in art, and it's, like, that's what I played sports, too, and they were fun as fuck. I like basketball still. I was pretty good at baseball. I never played soccer. That The running, man, I I agree. The running was a bitch. I don't know. I handled it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I used to run every morning five miles before before school. Brutal. You know, I was in a running club before school. I'd run like I don't know how many miles. I must have ran 250 miles during the school year. <laughs> you know, every morning I'd run five miles. They gave us certificates for every time you hit a certain part.
part of it. And I started that. I started a running club in fifth grade. <laughs> That's how much I was like, yeah, that was yeah. out there. I could see um, you being over running by the time you got a skateboard for sure then. <laughs> totally. And so, you know, and also I think with, you know, uh, with sports is, you know, the game's always the game. And the game in skateboarding is always changing, mm. you know, and and people can, you know, you hear it a lot from people, this sort of age old, oh, it's there's no coaches, there's no this, there's no that. And, I, you know, that kind of gets it a little bit tiresome hearing that. Yeah. When, and when I think there's actually much more to it as well. And, and it is because it's very expressive. It is because it's artistic. It's a it's a kind of a perfect um hybrid of athleticism and because you know when people rail against it not it's not a fucking sport well it kind of is a sport but it's also an art you know and you can say it's an art but it's not solely an art either it's a kind of a perfect blend between artistry and athleticism you know because you have a guy like uh richie jackson who complete who's totally enjoyable to watch to me and then you have a guy who who like uh mark johnson or or luan and they all kind of skate differently, and but they're all. I enjoy watching all of them. In on a soccer field, it's it, the the discernment between the players isn't that drastic like in skateboarding. Yeah, and it it goes down just to having to wear a uniform because now you can't. That's cuts off one way of expressing yourself. Skateboarders sometimes just the way they dress is like the most entertaining and can add style and flair and like. I always say, Steve, I always say skateboarding's for everyone. Like, it's just a piece of wood with wheels, and what gives it value is all the characters and all the people and all the energy and love that people put sure. into it. And that, and it's like, I'm not against big contests or Nike or – I'm, like, open-minded about everything. My whole thing is, like, there needs to be a healthy balance because if my home – if, like, you know, like I was saying earlier, like, Ramsey, he's overweight, but he loves skating as much as anyone, like – him being a part and being in the videos and doing the kick yeah. up on the bank, like that's just as valuable for Stoke. So I, I don't know. I think skateboarding can be yeah. whatever you want. It could be a sport or an art or whatever, and it should be free for everyone to do it. Like gay, straight, fucking alien, black, whoever wants to do it. it like we don't own skateboarding. Who the fuck owns skateboarding? It's a blessing to anyone who finds it. I, I believe, you know. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I've. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think I would. <laughs> be in it to the extent that I am at this point if uh they're definitely or or anyone really anyone that's of my generation that's still here or even Tony's generation or um or Paul Rodriguez's generation or even the new generation of skaters right now I don't think they would give as much as they give of themselves to something that's relatively low paying yeah. right and um and very hard if they didn't love it you know and whatever reasons for whatever reasons they love it is you know really up up to them you know and and i think there's fundamentally a lot of crossover in what people love about it and then there's things that people have that are just very personal to themselves that are that aren't the same as how this guy loves it but they but there is a common reality that that everyone at this point to this extent that they're involved love it 
Yeah, it's if it's it's all our vehicle, you know. It's like that one. It's like that piece of clay that we can put our time and energy, our worries. Some people thrive off of positivity. Some people use negativity, but they all make something out of the clay. So we all get expression. That's why. That's why. Like, um, I guess I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you deal with like because you you you're in skateboarding. You're like you and the barracks, and you guys have built something, and you you had a career. You're so high profile. It's like. I realized today that you guys get a lot of trolls online, man. How the fuck do you deal yeah. with that? Because you got people just throwing energy at you, like yeah. crazy shit, just the crazy, like reflections of their own shit, you know? Like, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, look, a lot has changed since we started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the change has been a, uh, as a result of what we've done, you know? Absolutely. Um, but even just in terms of like when we first started, MySpace was still a big thing. You know, Facebook was very not even really on the radar except for like to Wall Street people and co- people in college, you know. It's crazy. And okay. now it's crazy that Facebook sort of owns the world and Instagram kind of owns the world, which to me is like very dangerous in, in, a, in, a, in a certain way because as an industry, we we shouldn't really put our eggs in an Instagram basket or a, a Facebook basket for sure. Yeah. And because that stuff can die or they can control who you talk to at any point, right? Without getting too deep into it, which is something that we can talk about later if you want. But but in terms of like people who throw some shit out there, I mean, I gotta tell you when when, it, when we first started the barracks and I got criticized pretty heavily. Um. Um, which is something I hadn't really experienced prior to that. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely, it definitely hurt my feelings. Yeah. Everyone know? has a voice. So like all of a sudden with the technology and the internet and all that stuff, every, everyone has a voice before it was like magazines. The only way they could reach you really was like they had your cell phone or your email. <laughs> right. And then when you so start you're sort of oblivious, you're like, oh, my interview came out in the magazine. Uh, people must have loved it because the guys at the magazine loved it. My sponsors loved it. You know, you, and when I go out on a tour, everyone seems to be really cool. Yep. You know, you get these guys. So it, 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 it took a minute for me to understand it. Right. Yeah. And it's funny as people will go like, why do you even talk to those guys, especially during the beginning? And it's not like I, I, I don't even care. I, I just I don't I don't uh, really consider myself to be on this pedestal or on a, a different level you know if someone says something to me i have no problem talking to them you know um i'm i have no problem going oh, oh wait a minute you know that's not totally accurate what you're saying right and there would be a lot of things when it was mainly when you know the things that kind of hurt my feelings when when there would be like some sliver of truth to like a criticism about me yeah, but it yeah. was blown so out of proportion that it actually didn't become true. It actually wasn't true at that point, you know, because it had been um, altered so much that it wasn't true. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like they could have just said it a different way, where you had been like, "Oh yeah, thanks for like the, you know, like I I get what you're getting at, but you didn't right. have to, like stab me." <laughs> I've had that. Like, example, like they'll like like I I, I remember. A long time ago, Tyler Bledsoe was at the skate park one time, and uh, I was talking to him about, I think, his trans world part or something like that, and I, I made this thing in jest about filming a battle commander. I'm like, I would just rather give you five grand to film a battle commander, right? And then that all of a sudden turned into um, me, I, like, like 
offered him $5,000 to not film his part for Transworld, to film a battle commander on the barracks, and, like, when it totally was not said or set up in that way at all, right? Yeah. But then you see how things get out of hand, and now all of a sudden I'm known for this guy who tried to buy him out of doing a Transworld part with $5,000, of which I didn't fucking have at the time. It was a pure, purely theoretical sort of situation of, or hypothetical situation, I should say, um, of, like, if I had five grand, I would give you five grand to yeah. film a battle yeah. commander, right? And at least pay you for it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, but to go back to your question, I mean, nowadays, it, it doesn't really bother me at all because I, I know the things that we do and the kinds of things that we do for people and the kinds of sacrifices that I've made, you know, there's a lot of people who think I'm really wealthy and I make a lot of money off the barracks and stuff like that. And that's just simply not true. And I think Eric and I, um, are, are, we might have a lot of sway in terms of how media goes, but we personally, the barracks is not a money maker for us, right? We, everything is into growing. We want this thing to grow to provide more opportunity. So we foregone any sort of reward that the barracks could give us simply just so that it can grow. Yeah. And it's the hub. And, yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, if someone says some real fucking nasty shit either, just, I have, I don't run our Instagram account. So, uh, you know, I just say, look, if, because if, if they say it about me, I, I don't care all that much. But when people start talking a bunch of shit about people that I know that have come in and done stuff for the barracks, they film a bang in, they do an off the grid, they do whatever it is. And we post up about it and you see some kid just going in on like that fucking whatever. Yeah. Right. It's brutal. Yeah. I just block them. I block them, delete their comments because I don't want my friend. Or that guy that put his trust in us to film him and promote him, look at that and feel bad about himself. Yeah. You know, I, don't, yeah. I just don't think that is, I don't, I don't think that gets anyone anywhere. So when that happens, I just make sure that our social media guy just knows, like, look, if you see someone saying some really hateful shit, just block them. I don't give a fuck about how many followers we have or if we lose a follower. You know, and that's not the kind of follower that that we want anyway. Yeah, I'm know? the same way. I've I've learned to block. It's like, yeah, to argue online is a tough one because it's like that. It becomes like you know, I'm right, you're right, and there's no resolving it. They're very very hard hard to word it, you know, and like in so many yeah. so many letters, you know, you're like oh, online. Yeah. So I just block them too. It's it's just, yeah, it's, it's hate. And and you know what? They've already sort of made their decision about how they feel about you beforehand. Yeah, so there's yeah. no real, you know, convincing them to think otherwise. And if they don't, if they don't see, like, if someone starts talking shit about you or your podcast or whatever, and they don't see that you're doing this because you love skateboarding, um, you are committed to it, you want to do something positive, and if they think that's kind of lame, then that's not really one that anyone that you care about anyway. You know, because there's a bunch of other people that think what you do and what you're doing or what I'm doing or what this guy over here is doing is really cool. And that's OK. But because these guys, they have such loud mouths, 
and and it it seems like there's lots of them. Yeah. But there's really not. As I mean, yeah, there's compared to the, how many people like what you do or what we're doing. Yeah, it's yeah. not even comparable. I agree that the positive outnumbers the negative for sure. It's always the negative that gets the most attention because it's like so shocking. You're like, damn, what the fuck? Like, you know, like, oh, yeah. And I always think about that because I'm like, would I like? I don't even like. I, would I really go leave a negative comment on someone? I had someone do that yeah. not that long ago, and I actually saw him in person, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you saying that shit on Instagram? Like. Uh, just yeah. put it on yours express yourself on yours don't come on mine and like try to like express yourself and get aggressive and crazy i'm like i'm down for everyone to express themselves but use your platform use what you're doing start your movement yeah. you know what i mean like why try to tear totally. someone else down that's trying to do cool shit it's like totally. it makes sense totally if you have an if you have an opposing opinion then just fucking go do it and then it's like whatever is whatever's earned is earned you know i think that's a fair way to do it if you care yeah. enough put your neck out there do something yeah, but usually you find these guys, they have private accounts, so you can't ever see what they're about. You know, you're like, okay, this one leaves some shit. Like, you know, I remember years ago someone left a comment on the slap message boards, and I was never wanting to really go on the slap message boards. I didn't even know about them until Mike Taylor told me about them one year when we were in Barcelona. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then, you know, of course, when I first found out about them, I, like, looked through every single post. But – after that, you know, it it was it was such a bummer to hear the kind of vitriol from these people that, and I just don't live there, and I would never make an account to just yeah, either, you know, argue with people or 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 say bad things about people. It's just not what I'm interested in because I, I want to create things, not destroy them, and uh, or destroy anyone else's creations. That's not what I get off on. But I remember there was – but when people would go off on me, I mean, I have enough friends that they will send me a link to it, you know, and then I'll see it. And some guy put on there that he was going to rape my daughter Jeez. if I if I put out another video part, like my skateboard part. Fuck, and, <laughs> you know, and that's when I – you know, and I hit up Slap and I said, look, you guys got to fucking take this down or I'm going to fucking, you know – I'm gonna take legal action against you guys. Yeah, that's you know, because I can't, I can't have some kid out there threatening to rape my daughter. That's one totally illegal to do that online. And I actually happen to love my daughter, and I, I don't want bad things to happen to her. And as a dad, you have to fucking. Yeah, whether or not someone was being a smartass or not, it's not funny. I think that's fair enough to ask for that to be removed. I would definitely, I would say that's fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and they they removed it. So. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Me, I'm going to have to stop you right here because the only reason why I can kind of speak on these people is because I was a little kid at one point. You know, I did talk sure, shit. Sure. I was a grimy little kid. Like, I grew up in the projects, and I talked shit. Yeah. Like, I never yeah. said anything quite like that, never on that yeah. level. But I, I was hateful in my heart. Like, I grew up around negative people, people with totally. dr drug abuse problems, substance abuse, people that just – I mean, it's part of being poor. I get that. Yeah. It really is. You grow past it, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying <Yeah>. still. <laughs> it's a gone. I'm going. I'm 32 now. I'm still. I'm like, damn. How many mistakes do I make? Like, I gotta get past yeah. all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shedding layers. Shedding layers. And I look at it this way. I was like, look, I, 
and don't get me wrong, it's not that I haven't had my opinions in the past, because I have, I totally have, you know, you have more experience, you, you look at people, and you go, okay, for the most part, I believe that man is good, right, I, there are some bad apples out there, there's no doubt about it, but I think that for the most part, the majority of mankind is good, yeah. and if you look at people in that way, and you go, okay, let me, let me really look at this guy, okay, he may... I don't know, maybe he's hurting. Maybe he had a shitty, you know, uh, day or a week or childhood or he got yelled at or whatever it is. But for the most part, man is good and everyone's out there just trying to do whatever they can with what they have. Yeah. And when you really look at it that way, you're like, you know, I would hear, I would read things from pro skateboarders in, in magazine interviews. I mean, we, you know, there's a point we started this hashtag called skateboarding is fun, right? Yeah. And um, you know, now there's a, I don't know, a, I think a hundred and seventy thousand posts for for the hashtag skateboarding is fun. That's a good collective. Right, and and it just keeps growing. And it was sort of my way of going. You know what? I'm tired of some of these pro skateboarders complaining so much in these interviews it really became not a joy to complain about nike to complain about street league to complain about whatever else right and, and complaining is not a business strategy right and you have to if you don't like it you have to do something that's better than look there's a lot of things that i don't like in this world a lot yeah, but yeah. i always have to put myself in check and go okay why am i wasting any of my time wondering why the fuck people like the Kardashians, right? Yeah. Why is this? Is there, and I, it's, 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 it's because I'm not giving them a reason to dislike them, yeah. right? I, if I'm not doing my best to create something that they could possibly like better, complaining about it isn't going to get me closer not to that result. Yeah. So, you know, instead of like, all this shit about how, you know, I read these guys that, you know, talk about how, how bad the industry is and how lame the industry is. And I'm like, you know what? I've been in other industries and skateboard industry has its flaws. Of course, every, every industry does, but damn, it's a lot better than most. Yeah. You know, and there's an industry, there's, there's rarely an industry where you can look around and go, you know what? I've known that dude for 25 years. And I've known that dude for 20 years. And I've known that dude for 10 and 15 and 20. And that guy owns that company. And that guy owns that company. And we used to skate together back here and there, whatever. And you have at least this nostalgia of having grown up with or around or seen these guys grow up as well. Yeah. And you can understand yeah. all of their plights. And once I really looked at people in that way, and, 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 you know, you see, again, go back to reading some of these guys' interviews and going, why are you so mad at Element, right? Oh, because they sold a lot of T-shirts and boards and stuff, you know? Whatever it is, Element's an easy target for people because they're very successful. Yeah. And there's a lot of, they've transcended the skate culture, right? There's a lot of people that you see that normally you wouldn't hang out with that wear Element stuff. That's not Element's fault, yeah. right? Element's just trying to do what they do with what they have. Yeah. And, and they want to be successful, and they want to provide jobs and 
futures for the people that they love and their kids and their friends and the people that work for them and their families. And hopefully, isn't that what creating the skateboarding industry is about, is, it, is creating it so that someday, you know, back in the 90s, everyone used to be, oh, man, it's almost over. Right? Like, Eric and I were talking about this not not that long ago. What do you mean, like, careers? Yeah. yeah. You know, because when, when we turned pro, we pushed out everybody. Right? All these guys that were big pros in the late 80s and, like, up to 1990, they got pushed out, and their careers were, like, four years long. Oh, and there are uh-huh. your exceptions, like Tony, Caballero, I don't know, a couple other people. You know, but other than that, it was all new people. Sorry to interrupt, but while I'm remembering, I wanted to bring up a point about, um, I, I think the reason why they feel, those people bitching and feel that way is because they, like, worry that skateboarding is being represented to, like, like, I think about this all the time, and I've come to a conclusion about it. It's like, um, people portray skateboarding in a certain way, so what they worry about is, like, the housing bubble. So, like, I don't know, some name some big contest. Contest X, right? It fucking creates this bubble of all these kids that just are into skateboarding, but they don't actually fall in love with the art of skateboarding. They just fall in, like, with the points and the trophies and the podium and the stuff like that. So then you have this bubble of people, kids that come and that bubble bursts. And then, like, you know, I think, like, the people bitching might be, like, the people that are like, ah, oh, they're just taking from the skateboard culture. But my thing is, like, I don't, it's always got to, everyone's allowed in it. Skateboarding's for everybody. So it means that's for the rich kid, the corporate guy, the non-corporate guy. Like, if anyone can pick up the art of skateboarding and enjoy it and love it, you can do whatever you, you want. And is, But the thing is, there has to be opposing balance. I, like, for me, it's like, I didn't, I wrote for big brands that were non-skateboarder owned. So when that money shrunk up, I just said, you know what, I love skateboarding. I'm just going to start it with my own money. And I started my own brand. And now it's like, we're on the same playing field. They may have more advertising dollars, but it's like everything's online right now for free, basically, marketing-wise, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you can come up with cool ways to do things. My thing is, if skateboarding's, if, if, um, if skateboarding's hurting on the core side, it's our fault. You know what I mean? Like if, if the kid, the pro should be teaching lessons to kids and getting them hyped on real skating, and then they'll, and they'll yeah. love you, you know what I mean? Like if you're just leaving it up to Street League to fund your – to get all these kids to make you money, then that bubble's gonna burst. I feel. You know what I mean? Right. But if, but if you I mean, if even you street league was, you know, sort of like considered this corporate kind of thing. Street league is a a, a fucking contest. I don't really know anything about street league. Street league, except I mean, it's on TV. So I I meant X contest X. I mean, no, no, I know. <laughs> not the one. Like something like street league, where there's a lot of criticism over it, and whether it's a perfect or not contest is not for me to really say here yeah it's the fact that rob dyrdek loves fucking skateboarding rob dyrdek is a wealthy individual right he's made a lot of money and he has he has no real reason to do the things that he's done in skateboarding it's he doesn't have to do any of it but he does it because he actually really loves skateboarding and it's something that's really and rob's a dear friend of mine you know and and I I see people sort of uh, you know criticize him and criticize Street League and uh, again it, it's a it's a contest started by a guy who was a skateboarder he's a pro put his fucking time into the streets you know it's not like Rob was a shitty skateboarder no you know no. I looked I grew up watching Rob too man I watch all those dudes I guess what I was saying before was like. 
I don't really see Street League as a problem because I'm like, cool, Rob can have that. That can happen. It, fe- it feeds all those skateboarders that get in it. That's cool. They make money. They're on TV. Whatever they do with that is cool. But, like, I'm not going to sit back in Massachusetts and be like, oh, that's not the type of skating I don't – that's the type of skating I don't like, and they're ruining skateboarding. I'm going to go, no, I'm going to start the New England Am, which I did. We have a skateboard contest. We're gonna, we had 300 kids enter, and we had Westgate, Barty, Don Pierre's, Judges. We had so many spawns. But you know what I mean? It's like if the core side of skateboarding is hurting, it's because we're not doing the job. Like pro skateboarders aren't doing skate lessons, aren't doing the contests, aren't doing what the Muska and Thomas did and like the demos and like investing in what you love. Like I, yeah. get, I get that there's these big contests come in and they create bubbles and people, but either way, it's opening doors if you look at it, you know, because some of those yeah. might actually end up in there and some of the pros will make money off it too. Yeah, I can just kind of look at it this way. It all boils down to, like, complaining isn't a business strategy. Oh, yeah, and, to that. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and it, if anything is going wrong, it's your responsibility to make it go right. You know, um, being, you know, complaining about it is, is – and, look, there's plenty to complain about with everything, right? With everything, especially in the well, world we're gonna that we're going to We're going to get into the, into the yeah. world a little bit later for sure. Sure. All right, I'm I'm sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Do you, go want, ahead. do you mind jumping around for a second? Yeah, let's jump around. All right, because I feel like we kind of beat that into the ground. Was there anything else? Did you want to finish it up? Uh, I don't even know what we were talking about. Just oh. <laughs> complaining is not a business strategy. Oh, no, no, I think no, no, some did succinct enough. You're perfect. I like that. Um, I want to get more into like how you got into getting sponsored because I. Okay. Like how you moved to Cali and all this. I know about all the history, but I kind of want to hear it from the horse's mouth. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I uh, I was fortunate enough when we lived in Omaha, there was a guy that, that his son skated. He owned a construction company. And long story short, he built a skate park for us to skate in. Probably lost every dollar he ever put into it, but he kept it open while his as long as his kids skated. Hell yeah. And so there was... Uh, a time uh, between 10th grade and 12th grade where I skated at the skate park almost every day in my life uh, when I could get there. And uh, and he never charged me because I didn't have the money to skate. He knew that, but he knew I was getting better. And there was that two-year period where I was able to get really good really fast. And I was I was street skating. And I had gone to this skateboard contest in Rockford, Illinois. And back then, when I was younger, the National Skateboard Association, the um, uh, they were uh, – sorry, I just looked up and saw an email pop up that I had been waiting for for like two weeks. Uh, um, uh, well, congratulations. That's a good thing. Uh, I'll have to see what it says. Um, so the NSA was like a big deal and you would skate in the NSA and that was sort of like your road into, you know, possible path into being a pro because, um, it was the only sort of amateur organization. Um, and so I went to this contest. That's where I met Rob Deerdeck. I was 16. He was 15. I met Dwayne Petrie. I met all these guys who became, you know, people in skateboarding. And I got, I got, I started getting flowed. I went, made it. They had districts, regionals, and then nationals, right? So I had six districts, and then the top would 
qualified to a regional. So there were three regions, and, the, and then the top 20 of each regional contest would go to a finals at the end of the year. Sin, and sin. I, I was at the regionals, and I and I didn't uh, – I hurt my knee, actually, in – I went to the regionals because I was an alternate because I didn't really do good in the districts, but I was an alternate in the fucking street contest. <laughs> And what's funny, because Rob won the contest. Yes. <laughs> but they were having a mini ramp contest, and I was really skating a lot of mini ramp. I'm like, I'm just going to, just in case I can skate the street contest, I'm, you know, I'll skate that, but if not, I'll skate the mini ramp contest. And I still skated the street course and everything, and then skated the mini ramp contest, and ended up qualifying to go to the to the finals in, in that was in Phoenix, Arizona that year. Yeah. And I had hurt my knee, so I didn't actually get to skate in this. In the, in the street contest, but again, Deer Deck won that contest, but that's when I met um, a, quite a few people. I met uh, Mike Hill and Chris Carter there when they were at GNS, and I met um, this guy named Mark Stokely, who was the team manager for Blockhead, and uh, this kid I grew up with named Donnie Dietrich had known him because Mark was from Boulder. Colorado and Donnie had run away <laughs> and like was a nomad for a while and had ended up crashing on some skater's sofa in Boulder and knew Mark and he's introduced us and Mark started giving me boards from Blockhead and, and giving me boards was like, you know, he sent me probably two boards every couple of months, but that was enough for me to like, you know, really put my shit into gear and I go, okay, I'm sponsored now. Everybody in California, because this is the time of the 8th Street videos, and like Alfonso Rawls and Danny Way, and you know, those were massive influences of mine, and Bucky Lasik. Yeah, and it yeah. seemed like everybody, even though Bucky didn't skate for 8th Street, but the Powell videos and the 8th Street videos, right? And it seemed like everyone also skated Vert, who also who skated Street. So I'm like, I gotta start skating Vert. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yes. And then we had a Vert ramp, and I just like, in that was when I was 16. So by the time I was 18, you know, I was really good at skating vert. It was not like super challenging for me. And um, just putting the pads on. That, Those things are a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and sometimes getting to the actual vert ramp, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, you know, then I started getting noticed because we were had you know, and this is now in like 88 or sorry 89. 1990 going into 1991 and which is crazy to think 89 was so long ago and it was only like four years after i started skating three years after i mean i after i started skating i was pro five years later but but uh anyhow what am i trying to say i went to california and i i met the guys at blockhead and I had improved vastly, and I I got into this Blockhead video, and I got sponsored by Tracker Trucks, and I got in these Tracker videos, and Tony also rode for Tracker, and he started taking notice. And then the next year, I skated in the NSA contest. This was 91, and um, I did really well, and I was a much more polished skater. And then that's when I rode for I, – I got swiped by Rocco from – from Blockhead to skate for 101. Damn. And I, and I skated, yeah, and then I skated for 101 for about three months, maybe four months, and then quit to skate and start Birdhouse with Tony, Jeremy, and Willie. How did that? How did you? How did that come to be? Did he come to you, or how does that work? 
So, you know, during that time, Rubber Sheep had come out, you know, Video Days had come out. Yes. During that time of, you know, being sponsored and then actually um, getting sponsored the next uh, sort of season of uh, contests and then getting sponsored by 101. So in between that time, you know, I was a big Rubber Sheep fan. And I loved Tom Boyle, and I loved Jeremy Klein. Jeremy Klein was, like, my favorite, 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 him and Tom Boyle. So I had, like, this favorite street skater and favorite vert skater all in the same video. And Mike Valley was a favorite of mine. I mean, I have just been a fan for of good skateboarding, whoever it was. And, and I would get really into them. Bucky, Danny, like, all these guys, they were, like – and I still hold those guys so close to – to my heart in terms of like how I think about them and the, the influence that they had over, over my life and how appreciative I am of them and who they are and who they are still. But um, I went on tour with, uh, for one-on-one, I, I came out and I stayed with Nottis. And, you know, I had a tough time with Nottis. Nottis is a very smart very sarcastic, very artistic, really, really extremely sharp person. And here I am, this kind of dumb kid from Nebraska who's just, like, cannot believe that he's, you know, anywhere near Novice Coppice or any of these people that he had just watched millions of times and or, you know, seemingly millions of times in these skate videos. You know, now here I am skating with him so i probably asked a lot of really dumb questions you know i you know he he i remember i used to eat turkey cheese and mayonnaise sandwiches and that's what i was like that would eat every day at his house and he then decided to call that the nebraskan Um, and you know there was just nothing about me that i think that he really liked except for the fact that i was good at skating right and so I had a hard time with him. Uh, and then I went on tour, went on this World Industries Plan B 101, um, blind. It was guys from each, you know, it was like eight of us, seven of us, plus myself. I'll have to count real quick. But, and I did not have a good time on that, on that um, tour. And I uh, got punched in the face from Javante. Yeah, that's not and, a good time. <laughs> not no, a good time. I, um and uh flew home the next day after i you know already wasn't having a great time and then getting punched in the face i i flew home and uh and i i was in the world industries warehouse and it was funny because it was it was when mark uh gonzalez was quitting blind and i was in the warehouse and jeremy klein was there you know and i hadn't i'd only met jeremy klein once or twice but he had heard what happened he's like dude, you should come fucking hang out with me, you know? He would, like, he would fucking say that. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, dude. I, and so I started hanging out with him and Todd Contralier a lot. But anyway, it was. I remember that day I saw Gons, and he had uh, a convertible um, must, old Mustang backed into the sort of uh, where garage door of the warehouse at World Industries. And back then, you didn't have to write anything down. You just went in there, just took whatever you wanted. They had no inventory system. It was amazing, right? Filled up the Mustang. Give a shit. He was like, yeah, he, he just spoiled everyone, right? <laughs> and uh, and all of a sudden, you see, I saw Mark, and he's 
he I, I literally think he took 400 boards. He, it, he he loaded up every single thing that he could get his hands on and put in that convertible Mustang and took off. And I realized he was quitting blind. Oh, shit. He quit, right? Severance package. <laughs> yeah, it, it basically, he took his last package, which happened to be a severance package as well, right? And then I just started hanging out with Jeremy, and Jeremy was like, look, we're going to start a company, me and Tony. I, we would go down to Tony's house and talk to him. And I knew Tony a little bit. I had gone to his ramp a couple times and skated. And and, uh, and so, we, you know, Tony's like, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be called. And I remember going with Tony a few times uh, to meetings, special meetings that he had with Lance Mountain. Um, and Tony lived in San Diego, and Lance lived in you know, Pasadena, so they would meet in Irvine in the middle, and I remember I couldn't go to the meeting, so I had, like, Tony's Lexus, and I was, like, 18 years old driving Tony's Lexus, like, oh, my God, I remember I met this chick, and I went over to her house, I was, like, I rolled up in Tony Hawk's car, of course, no one really knew Tony Hawk like they do now back then, right? You still had a Lexus, though. I still was, like, 18, rolling in a Lexus to this fucking girl's house, thinking I was pretty awesome, and here I am, like, I just lived in Nebraska, like, two months before that, <laughs> come out with $40 in my pocket, right, or a few months before that, right, and so, so how we ended up leaving 101 is that we were out, we were at World Industries one night, late at night, with Bo Turner, and Lance Conklin, and Scott Conklin, and myself, Todd Contralier, and Jeremy Klein, and some people may not know who any of those guys are, but they're all very accomplished skateboarders of the past, that I really liked and looked up to. And it was right when World Industries were doing these rip-off Warner Brothers graphics, you know? And um, they had these little tiny stickers, like the size of stamps, that they would throw in the in the um, sort of receptionist desk, that they would throw into envelopes for kids who wrote in to get stickers, oh, right? And they had six, tons of them. Six. And they were awesome, right? They were so cool. And Lance and are not I think it was Bo who actually ended up stealing a bunch of the stickers, just taking a bunch. I don't think we at the time considered it that we were stealing. It was just like but stickers, I, fuck it. We got to take these and took a bunch. And we're at Todd's house and we spend the night. Jordan Richter was with us. I remember because his feet smelled really bad and he was wearing <laughs> these yellow airwalks, right? And uh and I love Jordan Richter. And um and then we got a call the next morning from Rocco, and he's like, where are the stickers, man? Who took the stickers? And Jeremy's like, what? I don't know who fucking took the stickers. I didn't take them. He's like, you better tell me who, who took the fucking stickers, or you're going to get kicked off. You want to get kicked off? And Jeremy was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, you're kicked off then. Let me talk to Vera. Right? So he gets on the phone. Like, who stole the stickers? I'm like, I don't know. Personally, I don't know, which I did. I was like, but I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, like, Bo Turner was a, a fucking brawler, you know, and I wasn't going to turn him in anyway. <laughs> Just snitch on him real quick. <laughs> you want to get kicked off? And I was like, I guess I do. <laughs> he's like, all right, you're kicked off. And then I'm like, okay. And then I just handed the phone back to Jeremy and Jeremy hung up the phone and Jeremy was laughing. He thought it was the best thing ever because he had built World Industries with, with Rocco, right? I'm like this fucking shitty kid from Nebraska who maybe had $15 in my fucking bag, right? And I'm like, how am I, I have no money. What am I going to do? And I remember I was in Todd's room and I was just sitting there Indian style with my hands kind of in my face and Jeremy was like, 
Bear, are you bummed? Don't be bummed, right? I'm like, no, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, dude, we're starting Birdhouse, you know? And I go, okay, I guess we're really doing it. And that's kind of how that came about. Damn, that's awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. fucking awesome. And then Tony, I remember, you know, I remember uh, being in Tony's house one time. I love Tony Hawk. I, I, I owe Tony Hawk my life. And what he's done for people is immeasurable. First paycheck I ever got from skateboarding was from Tony Hawk. Cause I oh, wrote, yeah. You wrote for Birdhouse. Yeah. Awesome. And he took me. I got to travel, and I got to hang out with him, and I went to his house, and cool. I back him fully, too. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I lived with him. So after I quit one-on-one, I moved into Tony's house. He said, you can live with me and turn pro for Birdhouse. And I'm like, okay. Fuck so yeah. I, I, you know, I, I remember being at Tony's house that time, you know, and, and I didn't. I didn't care about money except for the fact that I just know I, I needed to eat so I could skate. You know, I knew we're always working towards like, yeah, we'll get money, you know, but let's like also create opportunity and skate. But I remember Tony one night, you know, I lived at their house. So I was very intimate with him and his wife and his household and his family. I, I you know, I was a part of their family and his dad and his mom and, uh, I remember him in the other room and he was having a little bit of a stressful time with his wife, Cindy. And he was talking about how they only had $3,500 in the bank. And I was like, $3,500, man. He's fucking rich. <laughs> At the time, I know that was, I'd seen that much money. And my mom certainly had never seen that much money. You know, it was like, holy shit, that's $3,500. And, you know, and I also thought Tony was so old at the time as well, and he was only 23, <laughs> oh, right? Because so. he's Tony Hawk, so you're like, yeah, he's like, he seems like the man, you know? I wouldn't think of age either. <laughs> and the thing is, that's why I always, like, I hearken back to those days where I think about my perspective, where, you know, this is my whole world. Skateboarding's my whole world. I don't care if it's big, small, medium-sized, whatever. It's the thing that I care about. So the people that are important in that world are important to me, and they're more than likely larger-than-life figures. So Tony Hawk may as well have been as big as Coca-Cola to me. And in my inexperienced mind, they sure as shit probably had the same amount of money, right? Yeah. I, I, no. I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's like they think you're wealthy as shit, you know what I mean? Right. Because you're larger than life. People are larger than life. If you watch, if you're watching them all the time and they're putting out cool stuff and doing cool opportunities, it seems like they have all the money in the world, dude. <laughs> totally. And that's what I thought of Tony. And then I, you know, I, I and he really he taught me a lot. Tony did, and uh, lessons that I carry with me still to this day, and things that I that I do even with the barracks as a result of how kind he was to me. Um, so, you know, he had a huge impact on my life. You know, I only, I, I quit a year later, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's because I was like a cocky 19-year-old and, you know, right. Is that how, I'm guessing Tony led you into audio? Tony no, I, I, actually, I led Tony into audio. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, Jeremy, Jamie, and I started audio. No shit. And then, yeah, and then Tony, Airwalk, I quit Airwalk. And then Tony, Airwalk kind of went under after that, and Tony needed a shoe sponsor, and we were like, fuck yeah, let's put Tony Hawk on. Yeah. yeah. 
And at the time, we also put Bam on, but this was before Bam was, like, a big deal. He was still, like, at his mom's house, like, fucking... Yeah, yeah but I, he was, you know, I could tell he was going to be something big. Yeah, definitely. Larger than life, too. That dude's amazing yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hold on real quick, okay? Yeah. All right. Oh, I wanted to talk about um, getting... Because I know you were into acting a little bit. I don't know if you still do or... I know that you've been in movies and you've you've been into it, man. And I I don't know. I've I've always wondered about what acting's all about, man, and how you got into it. So, again, back to Tony Hawk, right? Tony, Tony told me, he said, Steve, you got to look at skateboarding. You know, I was making five hundred dollars a month when I turned pro. He's like, yeah, you know, you got to look at skateboarding as something that's fun, not as a career, because Tony had gone through this mega you know, 80s boom where he made millions of dollars to, you know, skateboarding, the bottom of skateboarding falling out and him, like, being virtually broke. I mean, he still had assets and stuff, but he was pretty broke. Yeah. You know, and he was only 23 and considered washed up at the time. Ah, and ah. Right. And which is funny now in retrospect, you just, you know, and we can get into exactly what the mechanisms of that and why that succeeded later. Um after we get through the history, but how, how I got into acting was like, I, I said, I asked myself, you know, what could I do that would be a job kind of like skateboarding, but not a job. I go, well, you know, I can communicate. I'll just be an actor. I, I thought it was like really easy. <laughs> I, I and, thought it was too. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole craft, you know, there's a whole thing behind it. Well, and so, to be, good at enough, it. Huh? to be good at it, it's probably hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and then at the time, you know, I, again, I was making $500 a month. I was spending $200 on a month on acting class, Ooh. right? Because yeah. <laughs> you know, I was committed to like, well, when I got there, I was fortunate enough to have this teacher um, who was really passionate about it. And then taught me and everyone in this class and still continues to teach to this day about the craft of what acting and artistry is about. And that led me into being really committed to it as much as I had was committed to skateboarding. So I would sort of um, do both because you can't skate all day. Right. Yeah. And, and finally at some point, uh, you know, I went out with this girl who was an actress and she had these great agents and she had introduced me to these agents. And then I, uh, they started sending me out an audition. And like the second audition I ever went on, I got a TV series. Wow. That was on Fox. And I had that experience. And I, I got to tell you, I, I, I hated almost every minute of it. Well, I was, and I was like 20, by that time I was 23. And, um, I was on this show as, as a series regular on the show, and I didn't like the show that much. It was originally actually pretty good, and then it got kind of not good. And then it ended up getting canceled after a half a season. So after 13 episodes, it got canceled. And I was like, thank God, now I can go skate. And I remember the next day, I actually filmed like three lines the next day that was in that transfer video interface. But because I, I was just so hyped to skate. And so I had to kind of reconsider, like, what do I really want? Why, why is it that, what is it that drew me to acting? And I did a couple other jobs after that. Like I was on Felicity and I was on, 
a couple other Fox shows, and I was um, sort of poised to, like, go and do and have a, a show again. And I just didn't want to do that. I, I didn't really see that there was a lot of power in it. And, and you, you got to understand, from my perspective as a 23-year-old, you know, yeah, which was yeah. probably a little cocky, also a little insecure, also a little naive, you know, and, and going, you know, the control is, like, creating it, writing it, directing it. That's where you can do it. So I want to write and direct and be in these things, yeah. you know. And right now... I don't want to commit to having to go on auditions and stuff when I really, really want to skate. And I can, I can act when I'm 40. I can't skate. I mean, at the time, I thought, I can't skate when I'm 40. Right? <laughs> no one thought they could. Yeah. Right? 40-year-old skaters. Even the generation of, uh, in front of us and the one in front of them were only like 35. Yeah. Right? So... It was, this was like true terra incognita, right? because the whole world tells you that. Like, growing up, they're like, you can't do that when you're this. It's, like, not cool to be an adult that can do something they like to do. Like, you can't be Absolutely. the pro skateboarder. Like. Absolutely. So, so um, I just kept skating, and then I started writing. And I wrote for a long time. And I wrote a lot of really bad shit until I got good at screenwriting. And to the point where... I met with studios and I would get offered jobs and I would never take any studio jobs, not because I don't like the studio system, it was because I just, I wrote kind of on my own for my own time. And once I was committed to taking a studio job, if I didn't meet the deadline, which I'm notoriously ever, I never meet, right? <laughs> um, Did you prove then, it? <laughs> and I proved it. It just, us trying to do this took a couple stuff. Uh, it's like Starts, stops. That's yeah. Okay. It's a night. Uh, and then I forgot, or I got slammed on a deadline, or whatever, because I was late on something else. I'm the but, same. I'm the same way, though. It worked out perfect, to be honest. I was like, oh shit, I should have been doing this, and then it was like, yeah. You were like, I can't do it. I was like, you just saved me, basically. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask, uh, wanted to ask you about acting before we go forward. Um, yeah. I, I actually I want to backtrack a ways. You did you do good in school, grades? No, I had a 1.2 grade point average my whole high school career, Dang. which is straight D's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, I, I, I focused basically on doing. There were there were times where I would go, I could write the best paper in the world right now, but that would take me too long, and I want to go to the skate park, so I'm gonna write something good enough for to get a D. Yeah, <laughs> it's not worth North. Not worth. Like I applied a pressure like at the end of my high school because I mean I'm like my senior year was like I tried hard enough just to graduate. And it's like all right, I'm done with this shit. Fucking move. Yeah. Um. All right. Where do you get your your ability to communicate from? Family or where does that come from? And and because you're talking about acting and the first thing right. what first thing I think of is like I'd be terrified to try and do it. So were you terrified? Where do you get your I mean, at, at first, but you gotta understand, I grew up, I have four older sisters, you know, and when I started taking these acting classes, I, I knew that I wanted to communicate. Let's just say that. Yep. And then you have an acting teacher that helps you get out of that. And, you know, and, and sometimes it seems a little silly because you're sitting there and you're putting on these scenes and, you know, to a skateboarder, it seems really fucking lame, right? And I always try to take my skateboarder hat off and really look at it just as a 
artist and and the ability to try to find something that just found it is truthful right and because acting is is i mean at the end of the day it's make-believe right yeah and, but you got to tr- try to find some truth in the artistry of it and challenge yourself in being able to communicate and can i deliver this in a way that someone will believe it yeah. and you work through that stuff <clears throat> And and it's also you have an innate uh, desire to communicate. And if I can't play music, you know, I, I tried very, you know, not very hard, but I knew right away that I was not a musician. I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician. And and those are all forms of self-expression, just as skating is, yeah. you know. Those seem terrifying, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just kind of got over it. And, um, and it's also sometimes I would hype myself up in the thing of like, well, these guys can't do five forties on a fucking vert ramp six feet out. I can, hey. these guys are pussies, you know, <laughs> and you try to talk yourself into, you know, owning the room as much as you can as a young person with whatever you have to own it with. Yeah. Right. And so that's, I think what, gave me at least the courage to try to at least try to be an actor. And again, I didn't fail acting at all. Uh, and I probably, you know, there are times where I go, damn, should I have just been an actor? I'd be way wealthier, you know, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be happier. You know, I, 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 I knew that like, if I was just like a guy on a fucking sitcom on television, I just know that that would not, fulfill me the one thing it would give me is would give me money yeah and money is something that i just don't really give a shit about and so if the only desire is to have i mean you got to care about money to a degree it's not a non-profit you know we the barracks is not a non-profit company but at the same time i don't care about money the way that i think hip-hop culture sometimes to this day makes people think about it right yeah yeah it's not a lot it's not a lust of mine, no. And so if the only reason that I would be on a sitcom is to make a lot of money but feel artistically uh, unfulfilled, then that's not really a, an exchange that I was willing to make. And that's why I really wanted to write. That's why I, want, why I wanted to be a director. That's why, it, which ultimately led me, that's why I wanted to start a media company. You know, I wanted to be able to have at least uh, have faith in my viewpoint and my artistry to create something and not have to answer to anybody, you know? And, and, you know, to a degree, we all answer to somebody, right? But as a girl, you can get that off your back, the better, you know? And I think to a degree, skateboarding is also something that people gravitate towards, the kind of people who don't want to answer to anybody gravitate towards, right? And so I just sort of continued and looked at my own sort of career and entertainment. And as, as it continues the way a skateboarder would, at least a skateboarder in the time that I started skateboarding. Right. Yeah. And the sort of values that I got out of skateboarding and that I um, had real reality with when I started. It was different. 
It's definitely different, yeah, for sure. It's funny because I'm as you're telling me this, it's like I I kind of seem similarities. Like I do the podcast because I want to communicate, and I always felt like I had a lot to talk about, or or I just want to meet people because it's like I like new information, new data, new people. I don't feel stale. That's why I listen to podcasts all day long because I can listen to scientists, philosophers, like comedians, skateboarders now because I do a podcast and yeah. I work I work a job so while and while I'm doing this medial job waiting to go skateboard and do my own skateboard brand like while yeah. someone else's time I'm like I'm gonna learn some shit I'm gonna pay attention I'm gonna communicate and like meet people and get new ideas and all this stuff but uh everything you're talking about because I do a contest I do my own skateboard brand called all That's I awesome. all I need skateboards I sponsor kids we travel around and it's like um I don't know. The big thing I like to say is if you love something and you really want it, you have to build it into your life. You might not make a million off of it, but if you have enough legs to your tables, like I was talking to Ryan Clemens on one of my podcasts, and he used that analogy. If you have enough legs at your table and enough things, you can hold the table up. So it's like you might not get a bazillion dollars off of a skateboard brand or whatever it is, but if build it into your life. Figure out a way to like monetize it and find ways to like keep it alive, you know? I like- at least you're putting the onus on yourself. You know, instead of complaining about everyone else, you know? Yeah, we are skateboarding. That's what I love about it is that, you know, you're going, okay, well, I'm going to start this brand. You know, or anyone that starts a brand. You know, uh, I, 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 I'm I constantly trying to reach out to people that have brands that start and they're small. You guys to help do a lot them. of cool shit. I've seen, I watched the barracks and you guys do a lot of cool stuff for shops and, uh, Brands and I've seen all those videos and skaters. So cool. You're doing yeah. what are you doing? The one I saw the push one you're working on with Dutor. Yeah. What is yeah. That? you're telling? You're telling stories of people. I think of certain yeah, skaters so, on the team. Right. So well, not even on the do team. They're just certain skaters. So I've had this idea for a while that I wanted to show. I wanted to try to show as a filmmaker, right? Someone who's a bit more astute at filmmaking than most people in our industry, right? Because I've been studying filmmaking and been a, studying filmmaking and been a filmmaker for a long time. And knowing that I had the ability to tell stories pretty well and visually and whatnot and can come up with a decent idea, um, I wanted to show, try to create something that one built up to something right by releasing all these things online building up to a do tour event where you watch these guys video part it's eight, eight eight skaters and sort of their process over eight months of filming for a video part in eight months right so it's not a lot of time but this i tried to pick skaters that were that i knew could do it yeah. you know i also try to pick skaters that were different you know i have a girl leticia I have Trevor Colden, who's like the sort of hot, young, you know, good-looking kid. He's hot to trot right now because he's so fucking good at skating. He shreds. Front crooks. He's front so crooks. good. He's amazing. He's from the East Coast. And then I have Cody Cepeda, and, you know, Trevor rides for Nike, so he's got, like, all the great sponsors, everything. And then you have Cody Cepeda, who won Battle of the Barracks, who's sort of like, you know, a rags to not quite riches, but at least he's now a – a figure in skateboarding he has a following people like him he's done something he's accomplished something but he still has a lot more to go then you have luan the brazilian guy from literally the ghettos of brazil and his story and what an amazing individual he is to leticia the girl to aaron uh hamaki is that how you say his last name i don't know jaws, jaws. that's what i said yeah. <laughs> who you know is a jumper 
You know, he's jumping down big shit, so he doesn't skate like anywhere else. And then you have Ben Rayborn, the transition guy, and then you have Josh Matthews, who rides for Huff. He's from Portland. So all these guys are very different. They all have different stories, but they all have this thing in common, which is skateboarding. And I wanted to be able to show their stories in a way where even if you didn't skate, you could understand their plight or the relationship to skateboarding, where it was less about trick-based stuff and more about what they go through just to get it. Because anyone can understand, look, I don't fish, but you can watch the deadliest catch and go, okay, I get it. There's inherent drama when they're out fishing, just like there's inherent drama when, you know, Leticia tries to go film a fucking trick and, you know, can't find a spot or whatever it is. People that don't skate understand that. They may not understand that a backside flip from a frontside flip from a fucking you know, 360 flip. They'll understand, they understand the. They'll understand the struggle of the process of trying to make it. Totally. Yeah. All right. That's it. <laughs> and that's what push is about, right? Is is our attempt to also show, from a filmmaking perspective and a really visual perspective, that as much as I love Tony, as much as Rob is a great friend of mine, as much as I love Bam, even. And these guys that have sort of transcended skate culture into just culture who are known to be skateboarders, but their experiences as skateboarders or the way that people see their experiences as skateboarders is totally different than the actual other part of skating. Albeit their experience as skateboarders when they're out skating is the same as any other fucking skateboarder, Yeah. right? But the way that it's portrayed, I wouldn't say portrayed, that's a terrible word. The way that s- some people see it, and it's to no fault of Rob or Tony or anything else, that's that's their life. It's not particular, like, you can't, you can't, when someone says, oh, you're a pro skateboarder, oh, you mean like Rob Dyrdek? It's like, oh, well, yeah, kind of like Rob Dyrdek, but Rob Dyrdek is a totally special case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luan or Cody or Leticia or whatever, and that's what I'm hoping and that's what we're doing, that enough people can see that so they can start associating skateboarding as like, oh, there are these stellar examples of skateboarders like Tony and Bam and Jackass guys and Rob, right? Yeah. And then these other skateboarders that, oh, this is kind of what they do. So it's not just only those guys that have transcended into mainstream that that mainstream kind of companies want people to look at skateboarding as. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I like that it's – I always say this as skateboarding should be more like like, um, like an artist, like music, music, you know? It's like like you, what you just described. If, you know, you the more you show them the struggle, the more the average person can relate. But if you just show them some weird stunt, you know, it's more just entertainment. But people gravitate toward like musicians because they know their backstory, they know their history, they know how they feel about things. There's a lot of communication and words and music and all that stuff and the way they express themselves. So the more they know about the good quality of skateboarders, the more people will will look at skateboarding and be like, that's amazing. It takes heart, dedication. Like I've seen totally. the process, the battle. You know. Um, totally. I'm loving that. That's what I always – I love that expression. That's what it is. so, why, you know, why we're doing it with Dutour is, is, you know, we have a deal with Mountain Dew, but it's actually different. The Dutour is actually Mountain Dew and NBC, and we do a deal with the NBC guys. And 
you know, they were like, we love that idea and it's an expensive idea. It's not something that the barracks can actually afford to make because it's a lot of travel and it's all filmed on red cameras and it's, it's a very expensive project. And, and these guys were fucking kind enough to not meddle with it, not, not change the idea, not change the skaters I wanted to use, not anything. They said, here's the money, go do it. And, and that's pretty awesome. They've been really great to deal with. And it's something that we, we just don't have the money to produce, but now we do, um, because we, you know, created the relationship with the NBC guys. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, and it'll be, Push will be a documentary also that shows up on NBC. It'll be a 90 minute documentary. That'll be like an amalgamation of all the Push pieces that you'll see over the next couple of months, plus some, not seen subject matter and footage and stuff like that. That's well, more of a reflection about skateboarding. Will the um people that you portray in the push will they be in the do will they skate in the do tour, do tour contest? Um, I don't know. I don't I don't think all of them. I think it's just what what it's gonna be at the do tour this year in LA, they're gonna have a premiere for the actual all of these guys' video parts. It would make so, sense because then people would know like know a little bit about the skater and then it would Yeah. I don't know. I mean if they want to, they can, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it's not like a requirement by any means. It's almost like a new category of the do tour in terms of like, hey, next year we're going to pick another group of skateboarders and we're going to give them a little bit longer because this was a little bit late in the start this year because we were working out details and how to do it and scrambling on a bunch of other stuff. But you know, year two will be better than year one and we'll pick the right guy. Uh, eight more right guys and film them for a year, do their video part and premiere their video part on NBC, you know, where 700,000 people are going to watch it, which is more than anyone's ever at one time seen a skateboard video. Yeah, that's wild. (laughs) Cool. Um, One sec, we're going to jump around, all right? Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you about agenda. That's, is that, does the barracks, do you guys Throw agenda? How does this work? Well, we have a we have a deal with um, the agenda guys where we do sort of the skate section is branded Barracks Agenda, right? Where they came to us years ago and uh, asked us if we wanted to partner up, and I said, yeah, <laughs> I don't see what could be bad about that. And again, they they weren't nearly as big as what they are now, you know. So they they've definitely grown into this. And the guy that runs Agenda, I mean, he, he's a, he's a brilliant fucking guy. He's young and he built this business out of doing it in a fucking hotel room across from ASR because he thought ASR was really whack, you know? Yeah. And not, and he was a, he's a prime example of a guy who didn't complain his way out of a job, but did something to create something that not only took out the thing that he didn't like, but has created something even bigger than what that even was beforehand. Yeah. That's he, and I don't even think he's 30 yet. You know, he's a, he's a, he's an amazing, amazing person. One of the smartest people I've ever met. He's a really, really incredible guy. And so, you know, and he flies out, I think 50 to 80 skate shops, every agenda show for us. He pays for all the people to come out and they come and they have a night at the barracks after you know staying for coming out for free yeah that's awesome yeah 
can't complain there. I I, no. I, brought, I brought it up because we got my company, All I Need Skateboards, got invited, and now I was like, if I could come up with the dough, I'd be there. But it, it's like that's something we got to grow to. But I was like, that was pretty sick that we we're even on the radar. That was right. Cool. <laughs> well, let, me, let me let me see if I can uh, let me look into see if I can get you some discounts. We could talk after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool, man. I was wondering how that association worked. It's like. In our industry, it's like you see people, you already know them just from watching them videos, but you don't actually yeah. know them, and then you see things, and you're like, how did that work out? But I know it, you know, like, yeah, that's cool, man. All right, um, moving along, moving along. You're a father, huh? I am. Do I you have kids. one, two? Yeah. Wow, boy, girl? I have a girl, I have a daughter. So a lot of my career is also wrapped into... I had a I had a daughter when I was 19. Wow, so, busy. You're getting busy, man. Or <laughs> <laughs> really excited that I had a girlfriend. You know. <laughs> That's cool though. Uh, I actually she was 20 when I when I was sorry I was 20 when she was born so right. she's 21 now. Wow, um, sick. And my son is 21 months. Wow. So it's a 20 year difference between my two kids. What's it like when you had your daughter? Is that like that must? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's completely different than uh, having my son. That's for sure. I mean, I was I was terrified. You know, I thought it was something that was going to derail my dream of life. You know, and um, and it just it's the kind of thing where like you you have to decide what kind of person you're gonna be. Uh, and so I decided I was going to be the kind of person that, you know, work really hard to make sure that my dream stays on track, but I also am a good dad, you know? And so, and, and honestly, I think it, I don't think it, that I could have accomplished the things that I've accomplished without, if I didn't have my daughter at such a young age, because there were times where I didn't want to film where I was over it. And I would keep going and keep jumping downstairs or a hand row or trying a trick or whatever. And just so that I, for survival for my kid, you know? Yeah. And so she, I'm very, very close with my daughter. She is, you know, we are the best of friends. I would probably qualify as her best friend and likewise. You know, because when you have a kid when you're so young, you know, you grow up a lot together. And especially when you're me, not Steve Vera, but someone who skates and is in the skateboard industry, you sort of also have an arrested development about your life where, you know, even at 30, you're still like you're 19, you know, because you're still doing kind of the same shit that you were doing when you were 19. Hell yeah. Peter Pan syndrome. I love it. I'm still on it. People look at me like I'm crazy. I don't care. (laughs) I was, I was asking about family because like, that's amazing to me. I like that you, it's kind of cool that you had a kid young because then you get a, you're not too old and too stuffy that you forget what it's like to be a kid because you still grow and you're in the growing process. So it's like very relatable. You could probably relay so much information to your daughter, like so sharp at that time. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Talk about everything. That's awesome. And I, I love family, man. I The way I grew up was so, like, there was, like, a lot of neglect for life where I grew up, dude. So, to me, I always, like, bringing a life into this world, 
is like the most like valuable should be held up so high it scares me to even think about having a kid because i think of it like as i don't know i worry that's the next person yeah. in the world you know what i mean like that's absolutely that's the future Look, that's it when my son came it was a scary ordeal you know just because you're like am i really ready for this and i think well i've had 20 years <laughs> um but it was you know my son you know he li- i live in chicago half half the time i i fly out here every week i am here a week i'm in la a week i'm here a week i'm in la a week because wow. he lives here him and his mom live here so i fly out here your freaking flyers must be crushing though your flyer game you that's to- true i do have a pretty <laughs> pretty frequent flyer game yeah you must be strong number strong yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how is it going back and forth is that just it must be tedious at times though it, it's brutal uh it's brutal when i'm really overwhelmed like right now during this push project because we're traveling so much i i rarely am in la because i don't like going seven days without seeing my son so if i'm gone if i go on a trip like we were just in philly um we were here then philly then new york shooting and instead of going back to LA, I came back here. I'm in Chicago right now. Yeah. And um, because it's been seven days since I've seen my son, and I don't want to go back to LA. So then I'll stay here. I'll go back to LA on Thursday for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then leave on another push trip uh, for five days and then come back here. Going hard. So I'm, Thanksgiving, I've probably only been in LA maybe a total of 14 days. Damn. Damn. You know, this push project is over. I'll definitely be a week there, a week here. But right now, I'm defaulting back to here. Do what you can but do. But again, it's scary. It's scary because you're like, you know, I got to I gotta be there for my kids. Yeah. You know? So it's a, it's a different – I just had to adjust how I do stuff. And ultimately – it's been better. I get a lot of stuff done here. I live right across the street from a Whole Foods. Literally, I have to walk maybe 75 feet to the front door. Chilling. So I go right to fucking Whole Foods. So my my lunch and my snack breaks are 10 minutes. Awesome. Right? We're in L.A. They're two hours. <laughs> you know? So I, I not only I, I end up gaining more time here. I don't know anybody here. So I see my son. And I do a bunch of work and I come up with ideas and I figure out stuff. And I mean, the barracks and the the magazine are very time consuming. So, you know, I get a chance to really think about them when I'm here. And then when I go to L.A., it's from the time I wake up to the time I pass out. I'm meeting with people all day long trying to get these things going. I got two questions. Yeah, yeah. First, the first one's very serious. Are your kids gonna be soccer players or skateboarders? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe one I, of each. I don't know yet. I don't know. I mean, we went to the skate park today. My son and I, we drove down, and his mom, we drove down to uh, downtown Chicago because we live in the suburbs. Uh, went downtown, and it had been raining. So, and what's great is it rains, and the wind blows, and it dries up immediately. But we were there and nobody was at the park and they have this really, really beautiful skate park in Chicago that they just built downtown called at Grant Park. And, uh, so we were just there and I was cruising around with him. I was holding him, cruising around, going on the banks and stuff. And then he, you know, get on his board and 
you know, because I, I want him, obviously I want him to skateboard, you know. <laughs> I think it would be a shame if he didn't, but also at the same time, if he played hockey or if he played soccer, I would I would be okay with that as well. It, it, I don't want to push it on him so early that he discovers something that he likes better when he's 13. What if you know, I want Uncle Shetler to... comes over, Uncle Shetler comes over and he brings a scooter? Then That's I... right, yeah. <laughs> scooter and i was like no fucking scooters you know i mean he's 21 months you know he, he just started to walk during christmas and so uh uh i'm like no fucking scooters but again you know i can't i want him to want to do what he wants to do and i think ultimately if i do a good enough job he'll have enough taste to do something that's cool you know yeah i think if if a kid is around something and everyone's healthy and happy and really psyched on doing stuff, they gravitate towards it. So as long as there's no like, you know, there's no like, um, you don't, you don't, you're not mean, you're not mean or aggressive or anything. You're just yeah. like, everyone's yeah. happy and healthy. It's good. They'll follow. They'll be like, yeah, that's awesome. Totally. <laughs> I have, my son's great. What's that? I, and my son's great. I love him. Obviously I love him so much. That's awesome. But, uh, what, what were you going to say? Um, I had another question. But yeah. actually, that just made me think of another question. Are is that okay. two kids enough or? I, I look, I, uh, I never say never, right? Yeah. Because I, I definitely can have kids till. That's one thing about men is they can have kids till they're fucking eighty, you know. Good um, so <laughs> I don't say I never, but I I don't I don't plan on having any kids anytime any other kids anytime soon because I don't I really want to put as much focus on my son as I possibly can considering that he lives so far from me you know and uh I I wouldn't want to then have my time so divided that one I can't get any work done and two can't spend enough time with them to to you know be their dad yeah there's got to be a balance yeah Balance in all things, for sure, I imagine. I mean, I'm not a father, but I just only imagine. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, maybe someday I'll have another kid. <laughs> My yeah. other question was, where was I going? I'm a bit of a stoner, so sorry if I'm, like, forgetful <laughs> of shit. <laughs> I have my certificate, though. I like to point that out. I paid, <laughs> I paid and I have a certificate because I had vertigo for a while, and that sucked. Brutal. Brutal. So vertigo was the worst thing in my life. It was like six months where I couldn't really skate because it like fucked my whole shit up. The first two weeks, oh, I, I couldn't even walk for the first two weeks. It was brutal. Damn. Um, oh, yeah, I remember. I wanted to ask you about the skateboard mag and what the okay. direction is and how that all came to be. I, I, I'm, these questions I'm asking, Steve, is because I know people. a lot of people have an opinion. Sure. And, and everyone feels different ways about the way skateboarding's going and what people are doing. So it's always good to just like... You know, you guys are doing what you're doing, so it's good to hear from you guys, you know? And I don't have any biases. I'm very, like, I mean, I don't know. Like like I said, I'm so focused on just building up skateboarding and throwing a contest and doing this that I don't even really have time to think about what everyone else is doing. So right. I know you guys acquired the skateboard mag. Yes. How how does this work out? Like, how did we acquire it or how yeah, like did fun now? I, I mean, how did that come to be? Was it just one day or, like, let's get this? How did that come to be? Well, no. I mean, if you – I don't know if you remember, and I don't, I'm not going to fault you if you don't. <laughs> um, I actually wrote the intro to the very first Skateboard Mag um, 
With Danny Way on it? Yeah. Sick. I read it for sure, but I don't remember just because it was so long ago. So I wrote the first, I don't know what it was called back then, but it was the intro to the mag. Yeah. And um, Dave Swift, when I got my girlfriend pregnant uh, when I was 19 and I quit Birdhouse to ride for a company that Mike Valley and Ed Templeton had called Television at the time. Yes. And that went out of business and uh, I had no money and I was I had a pregnant girlfriend and I was going to move back to Nebraska and, you know, a total failure and still considered one of the best skateboarders at that time, you know, but skateboarding couldn't sustain, could barely sustain itself. Dave Swift gave me a job working at Transworld and I worked at Transworld for about a year and I was, I made $8 an hour and it, it allowed me to make money and continue to live in California and film and then that's when I got on foundation. What were you doing? What were you doing at Transworld though? What kind of work? I was, I was the editorial assistant, so I would like proofread captions for the, make sure they were naming the tricks right. I wrote wrote for some of it. You know, I wrote uh, articles and came up with some ideas, and you know, and it was Dave who really he let me stay at his house. He gave me a job. He hooked me up with a roommate. He got me on foundation. And, you know, and here he left Transworld a few years later, started Skateboard Mag. And so I had always been close with Dave. He'd shot 90% of all my photos ever in the magazines, almost all my covers, all my interviews. And so, you know, he's not only been a mentor of mine, but a close friend I had drove to his friggin' wedding in Ohio when I was like 21, you know? Dave is and, a fucking man. I'm just gonna say I love him too. <laughs> I love him. And, you know, and so the, the magazine was, you know, being an independent skateboard magazine is not easy. Just like being an independent media site like the Barracks is not easy. So it's, there's definitely strength in numbers and we're not, we're not Transworld or Thrasher have been around for 35, 40 years with 35, 40 years of, you know, savings and uh, a bank account and merchandise and, you know, all kinds of stuff where this website that we had an idea that we put our own money into and sometimes we're living hand to mouth, right? And so they were they were at a crossroads, the Skateboard Mag was, and we had talked about it a few years before that, and um, it didn't really work out. They had a partner um, that was not really easy to deal with, that none of them really enjoyed working with. And so now when they were at a crossroads, it just happened to be kind of the right time, and we worked out a deal, and then we acquired them. And uh, and And then... Obviously, we put some ideas and some resources into the mag to give it uh, sort of some new life, Yeah. right? Yeah. And if you notice, I don't know if you've seen any of the magazines, but they look a lot different than what they used to look. Yeah, the one complaint I've heard is that there's less art, less to read, more pictures. Is that? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you can read all day long on the internet, right? Yeah. And it's, I look at it this way. If, if magazines, you know, people would say for years print's dead, right? And I don't believe that. I don't believe print's dead. I think print has a very 
a very um, valuable purpose. But if five years ago print was good for 20 things, now it's maybe good for 10. So there's no reason to continue to do those 10 things that it's not good for anymore. You won't survive if you try to keep up tradition that's hurting right. you. <laughs> and, 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 and lengthy, heady articles um, are not one of the things that the magazine, a skateboard magazine, is good for. Now, I heard the podcast where the skateboard professor, whatever his name was, was com- was basically oh, saying my podcast. It was, yeah. yeah, your podcast where he had said that it was pretty despicable what we had done with the magazine, and you know I totally disagree, and that's coming from somebody who has absolutely zero experience with the actual skateboard industry, right? I, I think I think he was mad about the he even said in the podcast anti intellectualism or within skateboarding, so taking the words out to him might have been like dumbing it down. You think? Well, I don't know. And you can't I mean, speak for him, but yeah. I, I, I can't say that the actual articles in the skateboard mag before that were very intellectual, to be honest with you. You know, um, uh, on some of, the, some of the stuff that the skateboard mag did before that, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they weren't, but I'm not saying that they were, right? So I don't, I don't think it was it's anti-intellectualism at all to take the writing – or a lot of the writing out of the magazine when the magazine is when you can get that online. You can get that on a podcast. You can get that in a video. We're in a generation now where people watch videos they don't read. And and I didn't make it that way. Yeah. yeah. Right? Just like in the same way that we were attacked when we were doing daily videos when Barracks first started and everyone wanted to, and no one would advertise with us and everyone wanted to advertise in the print magazines and they were like, No, fuck the internet. Oh, you got a website stuff like that. Now, pretty much every company advertised with us and everybody is doing internet content. You know, there were people that would try to take pot shots at us when Corey Kennedy came came out, right? And, uh, you know, he had become successful because he won this contest. You know, people started knowing him because of the barracks, you know? And I remember Transworld doing a question. It's a loaded question. Like, how do you feel about being an internet star? Well, that's kind of like how do you me asking you, hey Anthony, do you still beat your girlfriend? <laughs> really, not a good answer. I'd be like, dude, I've never you done say, it. Oh, no, I don't beat my girlfriend. <laughs> Just kidding. Or I stop. <laughs> you know, no, I don't beat my girlfriend anymore. Yeah. Or I, um, I, yes, I, I do beat my girlfriend. <laughs> you know, there's really no right answer. It's a sort of covert way of insulting Corey at the time for having come up and being popular um, on the medium that most of the people that were skateboarding and are con- are now currently skateboarding consuming their skateboarding content, right? Yeah. And yeah. so when I look at the magazine, I go, okay, you know, we it's been criticized, but only by a few people. It, it, you know, the majority of the people look at that magazine. And here's the thing. When you look at the skateboard mag, you now know it's it's the skateboard mag, right? Yeah. Not because it says the skateboard mag, but because of, and to me, when if it's anti-intellectualism, well, I'm not trying to have a magazine that's particularly pro-intellectualism or anti-intellectualism or anything. A magazine should be beautiful. So it's more about artistry than it is about 
intellect or writing an article, right? And so if, again, I want, and it's not that you're not going to see writing in the future, because you will, and you'll see in like two issues from now, you'll see something actually super fucking cool that we're doing that has a lot of writing to it. But it's all about like we have, we have concepts, you know, the, the magazines are themed. We don't necessarily have to, we're not stuck to putting blurbs on the cover, like Baker team in Arizona, you know, it's like, we don't need to do that. Well, it's you, did not, the cover, you did the cover with the guy that was really sick. All the photos yeah. that made up the collage. And those were all kids photos that they contributed, you know, that we printed out. There were 1700 photos to make up that just that, photo that you saw alone you know on the cover it's funny because i I love magazines and they'll always have a place like certain magazines will always have a place unless you know and some some will even evolve like what you're describing right now trying to evolve and make it something new um it's funny i'd love to advertise in magazines as a small brand but i can't afford it so my my advertising is podcasting and like alternative ways where it's like okay that door is closed then i'll find another door that we can still, you know, because, dude, skateboarding back in the day, the only way you're relevant is if you could afford advertising in the magazine. Absolutely. Then what happens when you can't afford advertising because there's big advertisers and the price is too high? What, I can't be a brand anymore because you guys own the game? And it's nothing against the magazines, but, like, to me, I love skateboarding. I named it all I need, and all the people involved love it, and it's a need in right. life. So we find a way, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, so yeah. here's the thing, right? You can you can go out there and build your business, right? But when you do have the money, I don't. I would hope that you go okay now. You know, I've been out here beating roof. I've been selling boards. I'm making a name for myself. Now we have the money. We can actually get a magazine ad. We can do this. We can do that because that's all a part of putting back into the ecosystem of skateboarding. Because it's not just supporting someone like Thrasher or Transworld or the Barracks or the Skateboard Mag, what those entities do is they have specific functions to be a hub so that kids can consume all different kinds of skateboarding in one sort of place, right? Yeah. And and it's important. There's a difference between media and social media. And the media like Thrasher, like Transworld, like us, are still very important to exist. And it's something that I, I would hope that every company out there would want to build to. But but you're right. Before, part of the reason why we even had the barracks and is because and why we did stuff with skate shops and why we try to do give people a platform is because before, if you didn't have $7,000 a month, you were not a real company. Yeah. And now that's changed. And, and, and you can get things cheaper but you also at some point have to be in the equal in the ecosystem to also be legitimate i guess you could say right not legitimate i think the word i think it right to go okay look we're all in this together right but i'm like i think it's amazing that you can that not just you i mean one can go out and now get boards made up, get t-shirts made up, you know, create an Instagram, create a Facebook page and do and create a contest series like what you're doing and build. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. But the hope would be that you don't just build and try to get like, for instance, 
you get sponsors for your contest, right? Yeah. Yeah. So these people are part of the ecosystem. So let's not build up a contest and then eventually be a big company and be like, fuck you to all those sponsors who contribute because they contribute to the ecosystem of which you are uh, voluntarily or not a part of no matter what, right? Because there are companies out there that go, okay, we're going to sponsor a bunch of skaters and we're just going to give them a bunch of product. And these skaters have been built off of all these other brands and all these media brands and we're going to have a bunch of product and we want them to Instagram our product. But we as a company, we're going to grow to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 million, whatever. But we're never going to actually give back to the ecosystem except for these products that we send to these guys that we hope and, and encourage them to put on their Instagram. And that will be our marketing. That's slave labor, dude. <laughs> it's very selfish of companies to do that and go, and then we're never going to have to put a single penny into advertising. And we're going to send them a box that costs us $100 because we make our stuff in China, right? Yeah. It's funny, it's funny for my contest, what I did was, um, it's not even my contest, for our contest, because so many people, so many people helped me make that happen. We had over 24 skate shops in New England. In New England, people are hard-headed, because we have winters and they're shitty as fuck. Everyone's yeah. angry. When you're in fucking snow up to your fucking, over your knees for like three, three to six months, yeah. and you're around people, it's just like, it's rough. So people have yeah. opinions, or some people are hard-headed, some people are assholes. We got 24 skate shops in New England to come to our contest and bring three riders each. And it's like all these skate shops that I grew up knowing about and like all in the area. It was so sick. We had all of them come. We had over 300 kids and all the sponsors. All the money I, that I try to do with the sponsors is like help build the contest. And we want to fix up the park, you know. Like I always looked at like what Skate Park of Tampa did. And they would change yeah. up their course and do crazy totally. cool stuff. Um yeah, that was, like, my way. I just think it's rad to have all those skate shops there because those are the dudes, like, we don't really – our industry's so broken up on the East Coast. It's not like in Cali where you guys have – like, our magazine just went under focus. It's not around yeah. anymore. They just had their last issue, so. Yeah, I saw that. If we can get 24 people 24 people that own skate shops and they bring all the riders, everyone can get together on one roof, that can't hurt, you know? That's the only good ideas, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And look, you know – you got to create it, and that's all it is. Look, every job that exists on this planet has been created by someone. Someone put it there. That's true. Or, that's true. or you create it for yourself. There's the only two options. Or, or the third option was you don't create it all, and you just become a, a, a welfare child, right? Okay. Which nobody really wants to do that. So, okay. you know, Something what you're so doing is – you're creating a scene and you have to do that. And and thank God you're doing that because if you don't, who who would? Yeah. 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 You know? I, Is there anybody else that's gonna bring those twenty four skate shops together? I, I what I realized was like when I moved home, I lived in Cali for two years and I then I finally got a chance to move back home. I was just like, I love everyone here. I love this whole scene. Like all these skate shops and all these parks and it's like the shit, and I knew that I had some notoriety because I was a pro skateboarder. I put myself out there, all that stuff, and I had met everyone at all the shops and stuff. So I was just like, "Let's do it!" And I even got the judges 
to be homegrown. Like Barley grew up in Rhode Island, uh, Connecticut, yeah. Grawling, Connecticut. Westgate's from Wareham, Mass. Dompierre's New Bedford, Mass. Zared's from Chatham. Like, and those are the judges. So I'm like telling these oh, kids, cool. you know, like check it out. Yeah. These guys are pro and they've done cool shit and created cool shit. So that's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm awesome. super proud of it, man. That's like one of the legs to the table. That the podcast, the brand. Um, enough about me, though. I'm sorry. I like to do that on my nah, podcast. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about Alien Workshop because I know you skated for them for a little bit, and that once again, like I pay attention to like the skating and like people's cool stories, but like the brand Alien and all that stuff, I know nothing about what happened with all that. So, uh, but I know you skated with them, skated for Alien for a little bit there. How was that? What happened? Where'd that come from? And I think twelve years I skated for. It was 12 years? Holy yeah. shit. Time yeah. flies, dude. Yeah. How was that? The majority of my career. Um, um, how was it? Yeah. It was, I mean, I, I, I really, for the workshop, for a reason, for sure, because I never, I knew I never would have to worry about graphics, you know? Yeah. I didn't want to, and I loved uh, Mike Hill. And, you know, I met Mike and Chris when I was a kid in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, one of those NSA contests when I was 16. And uh, I'd always really loved their artistry. And, and you know, uh, so I, I definitely rode for Heath and I were going to quit Birdhouse and start our own company. And I talked to Chris Carter one year at Tampa and then we just kept talking. I, again, I'd known him throughout the years. And then he was like, why don't you just ride, instead of start a new company through us, why don't you just ride for the workshop? And we were like, okay. So we um, rode for the workshop. Damn. And it I was grew cool. up, sorry to cut you off. I grew yeah. up on the East Coast, and I always watch photosynthesis again and again and again yeah. and again. It's so good, dude. And I agree completely with the art direction and everything yeah. you're saying. That, that seems really cool to be able to do that. Did you guys put out one? Did you put out? Did you? How many videos came out? Did you have the one video? So in the time that I see it for him, Heath and I were only in Mosaic and Minefield, and I was hurt the majority of Minefield. I broke my ankle, so Mosaic I, had Habitat in it as well, right? It was a Habitat video, but there was a workshop section, and I had a I had a part. Um, Heath and I uh, shared a like a. A, a part in it um we had a part together I, I was you know i started getting plagued with injury i broke my ankle three times i had reconstructive ankle surgery during the skate more part and so so after i filmed i had six months to film my skate more part after i got my ankle reconstructed and hadn't walked for eight months wow. a year to skate then i had six months to film the part so i Filmed the part. I didn't want to travel. I had a daughter, and you know, so I filmed the part, and then started on the workshop video. I don't know, two years later or something like that, and then broke my ankle. So then I, I you know, my workshop part was kind of whatever. It's not something that I totally. There's maybe a few good things in there, but not something that I for sure um, call pinnacle of my career, but. Uh, do you have do you have a part that you're really proud of that you're like this is the um, one that I got got out as much as I could? To be honest with you, I've always lived my career in a way where had I 
not been interested in so many other things, you know, I, there probably could be that part that I really, really, really loved, you know, but every part that I've ever done has been done in a matter of a few months, you know? And so I never had that experience where I worked on a part for three years, you know, it, yeah, it just, yeah. you know, I was busy or I was, you know, I always had all these other ambitions and it, and it wasn't because I skated less. I just didn't film or I get hurt or whatever it was, you know? And, you know, even with, starting the barracks it was a kind of a thing for me where okay I, everyone already knows me in skateboarding it's not like i'm going to sell more boards because a lot of pro skateboards i mean even uh, pro skateboards don't sell boards like this industry is not big enough to where you're selling tons and tons of boards you know so i did kickflip backflip el toro and I, i'm not going to sell more boards than i did the month before you know and um i was like, okay, well, why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to do this in terms of, like, do I need to really film the video part or should I start focusing my energies not so much on just myself but how to create opportunity for other people? Yeah, that's beautiful. Do those things that people like Tony or the local skate shop owner before I was sponsored did for me or Mike Valley or Ed Templeton or, you know, I've had an immense amount of people – help me in my career and in my life I've always had that and I've always tried to return that favor so there was a point where like look I, I I've made some good money I've I've uh, I've always had great sponsors but do I need to is filming a video part for three years going to really fulfill me as a human being or should I kind of take what I've built and build something else so that everyone else can, you know, I can have a platform where everyone else can at least have a shot at it. Yeah. You know, I like that. And part of the reason, like there was one, one time where Heath really wanted Scott Kane on the workshop. Right. Yeah. And nobody, nobody wanted him on. Everyone said no. Was he a wild child? I'm just curious. I know he's Long Beach. Was he wild? Um, I don't know. I know. I don't. I've never. Even, I think I met him once. I don't really know him. You know. Okay. He was good at skating, and Keith was really stoked on him. But I guess these other guys weren't. And it was very hard to get on the workshop. Notoriously hard to get on the workshop. And and then Scott got hurt. And and Scott Kane was a guy who, I think, should have had a long, or should have had a career in skateboarding he was really good and ahead of his time yeah. shit he was doing yeah I mean, he was doing like kickflip back smith down in rails in like you know 2001 yeah 2002 and he, you know he he wanted him on the or he he really wanted to and he couldn't persuade anyone else and i was kind of indifferent to it i was like i don't really know him but if you're backing him i'm good you know that's fine and uh so part of and he's one of many examples that I could give, but he's a very clear example to me that made me want to start something like the barracks to where, you know, guys like Corey Kennedy could be discovered, you know, or could have a shot um, that normally would take a lot longer, especially with how media was going at that point, you know, because there was a big shift in media and tech and everything else. And the skateboard industry was fucking behind. 
Yeah. And Eric and I came in and started this thing and it, and it was disruptive and it was shocking and, and people didn't like it at first. And now they do. I mean, the kids liked it and we wanted to give a lot of opportunity to people. And that's kind of been our, you know, our biggest focus. And to me, that's a lot more fulfilling than if I would have spent the next. So say I would have, you know, the time that I spent building the barracks over the last eight years, if I just spent that solely on trying to film video, uh, video parts or tricks for video parts that only benefited me, the, 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 it wasn't even a decision of what I should do. Right. And here I'd be sitting where I'm at and I'd go, okay, cool. I kept my sponsors and I, and I, I, uh, and I filmed some tricks, but am I any happier? Did I service mankind in any way that helped anyone else but myself? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you said that nicely too. I like that. I agree. I agree completely because half the reason I do all I need is like, like you said, there's not, you basically said there's not a lot of money in hard goods, you know? And, uh, Half the reason I do it is because uh, the dudes that ride for us and the people that do rep, rep it, and we get to do so much cool shit. Like the money I make, I put right back into it, and we yeah. we we, Absolutely. we get to do cool stuff. We did a trip to Cali. We fucking we do the contest. Like it all comes from that, you know. So it's like yeah. that is awesome to me. So to be able yeah. to create cool things, like you got the website, so you you guys have a lot of crazy cool different content on there too. It's it's awesome. I've actually yeah. been to the park, the old one. Oh, okay. The one before the one now. And okay. man, it was so much fun. Jim Thebo was there and uh all the deluxe guys and I skated right. I couldn't even fucking walk anymore. It was awesome. Yeah. So much was fun. I, was I there? I don't think you were there that time. Yeah. I think we went who brought us? I don't even remember, but it was ama- it was amazing. That place was so much fun. Um, okay. I wanted to get into one more thing. Uh, yeah. I'm holding. If you don't mind, I know it's been a long time, but the podcasts usually go till they go, you know. Yeah. It's uh, fine. All right. I want to ask you about Scientology, and like I said, uh, being open-minded is completely, dude. I'm open to any ideas, and I really yeah. don't know much. And yeah. I know that's something people talk about, and that's a. Uh, is that is that you're you're into it? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've studied Scientology for. Since 1998. It's weird because, like, when I was thinking about doing this podcast, I was like, I didn't know if I should ask it, but I'm like, it's just like, if you're into it, you're into it. It's something you like. I just know nothing about it. I mean, everyone knows. You know, it's not like it's a, big, a secret. I've I've been yeah. pretty forthright about it, you know, my whole career. I, it's not something I, I'm ashamed about by any means. <laughs> I think the only reason why I felt uncomfortable was because I don't know anything about it. So to me, yeah. it's like... I know nothing, so I was like yeah. nervous to ask for whatever because all I hear is craziness. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So how? Do, yeah. What's it all about? If you don't, if in a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, nutshell. It's look. It's an applied religious philosophy, right? That um, you know, uh, that uh, believes man is a spiritual being, and there's a there's a basic tenet in Scientology that whatever's true for you is true not because the founder of Scientology said it's true you know if 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 someone said that sky is fucking green and you're like no that's not true because I don't particularly observe that being true what I observe is the sky is blue 
then the sky is blue. It's not green because someone in the Scientology book said it's green, right? Your experience matters. Right, absolutely. And your what you observe to be true is true. And um, it's something that, like, you know, I've heard all the fucking stories about Scientology. I heard them all before I ever even read a book. But my biggest thing was, for me, my girlfriend was a Scientologist. And I would sit there and I'd say, oh, you know, I love you before I go to bed. And then I would secretly be like thinking, how can I, you know, not have her be a Scientologist, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like I didn't know anything about it. And the only thing that I knew is the things that people told me or what I had read in the press. Yeah. Or in the media. And there was a there was a there's sort of a basic um cowardice about that you know you're like a like i felt like a real fucking pussy for for telling this girl that i loved her and then secretly wanting her not to be a part of something that was clearly important to her or just like thinking like she's like brainwashed or like she has that characteristic you're like that's kind of like i love you but i think this way about you yeah Yeah. i love you you're totally fucked up and weird you know and i and and you know, again, I was young, too, so, uh, you know, I, I was just like, I don't normally do that. So if someone said to me tomorrow, oh, yeah, that uh, Anthony Shetler, man, he's a real fucking asshole. You know? <laughs> they'd be right. Uh, I, they, they, one, they'd be right. <laughs> no, I would be like, listen, that's not my experience with him, yeah. you know. I, I, I'm sorry, but I can't agree with you on that. I don't think he's an asshole. I like that because that gives room to grow. Because if you just – if you hold me to when I was an asshole, which I'm sure I will be again, then I have – Everyone's an asshole. I mean, like, <laughs> just because I'm a Scientologist doesn't mean I haven't been an asshole before, you know? Yeah. Or just if I was Jewish or a Christian, it's like everyone's a fucking – everyone's everyone is subjected to the same vagaries of this planet yeah. as the next guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, everyone feels love, hate. Fear, desire, elation, cheerfulness, whatever. They go up and down the emotional t- roller coaster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Same if you do. So, so you know, I think sometimes I'm held to a standard that's impossible for me to live by. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I certainly try my best, you know, and they, they hold it only because they know that I'm a Scientologist, right? So the first thing they say is if they I do something they don't like, they're like, fuck Scientology. And it has nothing to fucking do with Scientology, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just catches you know? the baggage. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so, you know, and what look, I, I, I just go I have to fucking just read a book. I'm a fucking pussy if I don't read a book. Yeah. Because I'm just taught I'm just saying I'm agreeing with this guy. Yeah, Anthony Shetler's an asshole. No, fuck you, man. I'm not going to do your podcast because my homie said you're an asshole, right? Yeah, I would say. And I don't particularly have that experience. And who knows? My homie could be having a bad day or he might have fucked your girlfriend. He doesn't want anyone to know. So he's, And he doesn't certainly want anyone to talk to you because maybe that fucking thing could get found out. And yeah, so he's yeah. like, yeah, fuck that guy. That happens. Like, yeah, man, I fucked his girlfriend yesterday, and I don't want anyone to know. And that happens. You know, it's never it could be. Of course that happens. I've seen it happen, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I, I I just don't 
adhere to that. And so I picked up a book and I read every bad story that you could read about it. And what's funny is now, whatever, how many years later, it's still the same fucking stories. You know, they don't change. They're not new. Yeah. And they're not, and, and they're not anything that I've observed to be true. And they're not anything that I, when I read a book, I look at it and I go, yeah, I agree with that. And then I, it, again, it's a, an applied religious philosophy and you go, okay, how can that, I apply that to my life? Because there are Christian Scientologists, there are Scientologists that are Jewish, there are Scientologists that don't believe in God or anything. It has nothing to do with God. Like, that's not defined for you. It just is a, it's about spiritual. It just says, look, you're a spiritual being. However you want to define that, you're a spiritual being. Well, there's, which I, there's a duality. There's a duality of an, in it all, dude. Like, we're mammals. We're fucking gorillas, but we have, like, a spirit. You know what I mean? We're, we're stuck in both worlds. You know what I mean? Like, you can't... Absolutely. You, I always you have out, this body, I, right? What's that? You have this body, correct? But you're also a spiritual being. It's a really fucking... It, there is a duality to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been listen, I listen to a lot of Alan Watts, and he's always like... He's like, do you breathe, or is breathing happening to you? And you have to, like, think about that because you can hold your breath for so long and then you have to breathe. So are you breathing or is it just happening to you? Like, sure. Like, the sure. duality of things is funny. <laughs> yeah. Fucking crazy. I'm, I'm open-minded yeah. to all religions, though. Like, uh, um, Christianity in America, obviously, has been the big one that people as born-again Christians and all that stuff. But I'm open to, like, hearing it all. I mean, like, I've heard all the bad things, too, and I've heard good things. And, like, every little religion seems to have, like, rad stuff about it, you know? Like, yeah, and every, yeah. every religion has some fucking kooky people. Everyone, you know? It's not like it's not like I hang out with, uh, it, like, I'm walking down the street. It's just like every skater, there's some kooky skaters, right? Yeah. And, and really, at the bottom of it, Honestly, like, I'm a skateboarder. I love fucking skate. I love skateboarding, Hell you know? Yeah. And there's, it's so embedded into the DNA of who I am, you know? And I, I I'm okay with every, do, people doing whatever they do, okay. you know? I don't, I'm not out there proselytizing for anything, you know? And, and it's not because I'm ashamed of you or anything like that. I, I'm not at all. I'm very open about uh, about it. But um, I don't have a problem with Jewish people. You know, I don't have a problem with black people or uh, Indian people or white people or you know, or, you know. I, I just I I treat everything on a case by case basis. Yeah, it's like, um, it takes all types. We need everybody. We need it's goods and bads with everything. <laughs> you know, I believe in humanity, you know, and I, I believe that people are good, and I just want to see them do good, however that, however they do that. I don't, know, I, what I was talking, I was talking to someone the other day, and I was like, I hit him up, and I was like, wouldn't it be nice if everyone was, like, nicer to each other, or less judgmental, because then everybody else could not feel like repressed by that and then they could just express themselves better and the more people express themselves honestly without feeling like nervous because people are talking shit or being evil like if we all do a little bit better in our own lives and be happy and try not to be as judgmental imagine like that the growth it would be beautiful right yeah Yeah. totally (laughs) 
I had a, a RP best on, and he's a Mormon, and I've known RP forever. I love that guy so much. And uh, it was, I remember when he did his mission. Yeah, he was telling about it on the podcast. It was cool to hear yeah. about it, dude. <laughs> well, Steve, man, you are so rad, and I'm so thankful you came on the podcast to have have this conversation, man. I, I was nervous because I didn't want you to think like I'd attack you, because I know like with this, everything i see all the numbers in the comments and i know people like have feel certain ways but i'm like i hope you didn't think i was gonna do that because i like i really just want to have honest conversation about life <laughs> uh, yeah i'm grown up man i can take whatever whatever you wanted to pitch at me transparency is key you seem like a very transparent person so and it's cool that you came on the podcast and talked about all this with me you didn't have to thank you <laughs> you're welcome thank um, you for inviting me yeah, no worries. You've done a lot in skating, man. Whether you film another video part or not, I, I've enjoyed your skating and the stuff you've done, you know, in skating. Like, I remember the backside flip over the plane. I think it was a DVS ad, right? Yeah. Just growing up being hyped on skateboarding, man. I've I seen your career and all the people that you skated with. You guys did cool shit, and you got me hyped on skating. And, I, and I'm thankful for that because skateboarding has been a blessing to me. So, yeah, thanks for carrying on tradition absolutely um if you want to this is usually where i let you plug whatever you'd like to plug if you have i mean we talked about the push is there any other cool things you'd want people to know about um no i mean just that you know we're gonna keep continuing to do what we do the way that we do it Hell yeah. and uh you know i think i've pretty much said enough yeah. Except for no, I don't know. I was gonna make something up, but I couldn't think of anything that quickly. <laughs> Hang on, brothers and sisters. Liberation is near. It's almost time. Experience rocking with the reed, black, shun, e, turn on.